Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe for your free 30-day trial. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello. You could have kept that going. I, I was just having a warm feeling listening to that again. <laughs> um, I've got a story. I've got a, Actually, I, yeah, I have a huge story about the soundtrack for Jurassic Park <laughs> and this movie that I will uh, save for later in the episode. Okay. Uh, we also have... <laughs> We also have Bill Graham. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Sightly <laughs> is Lasorna. Anyway, with us today to talk about the Lost World Jurassic Park, it's Bill Gobiri, who is a film writer for New York Magazine and Vulture. Bilga, how are you doing? I am good. How are you guys? I am. I am honestly we're, super we're exhausted, <laughs> and I am also starving. Because as you asked me that, I realized I have not eaten dinner yet today. So oh, I'm job. hanging in there. You should feel free to eat while we're talking. I am in my study. Uh, I could eat a houseplant. That is all. So we'll, uh, we'll see. Maybe this is what uh, gets me to eat a salad. Yes. Uh, so anyway, uh, we are here today to talk about uh, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, uh, the sequel to Jurassic Park, the prequel to Jurassic Park 3, which of course is part of the prequel trilogy to Jurassic World and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which will <laughs> eventually wrap up with the final film in this septology, uh, septology. Um, which is uh, Jurassic World Dominion. Is Do I have that right? It, it is called Dominion. The there we one. go. All right. So glad I nailed that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, as you could probably tell already, this uh, while this episode is specifically about the Lost World Jurassic Park, we're probably going to be at some point talking about every single one of these uh, movies, <laughs> uh, possibly also some Michael Mann and a bunch of, a bunch of other random stuff <laughs> time will tell uh before we get into that the usual rigmarole you can find us on twitter at film stage show facebook the film stage show give us a comment and rating on itunes and of course go to our patreon at patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money for as little as one dollar an episode you can get access to our slack channel you can talk with people there. Uh, people have started trying to organize uh, game nights over Zoom for the card game yeah. Cinephile. And um, yeah, so that's happening. So if you need movie nerds to talk to while we're all still uh, quarantining to whatever degree we've decided to keep doing that, this is the place for you. Again, that is patreon.com slash film state show. Michael Snydell, it sounded like you were going to say something. I was just going to say if any Patreon users who have stayed away from the Slack uh, for, you know, unknown reasons or anything. Um, we're going to try to start putting that on the Patreon as well about getting you guys involved, even if you're not in in the Slack. Uh, all, all of you other riffraff who aren't Patreon people, though. Uh, yeah, you can join and become 
you know, become part of it as well. But I just want to say if you aren't on the Slack, we're also going to put that on the Patreon as well. Absolutely. Oh, boy. We are also, of course, uh, in addition to the charitable donations of our patrons, brought to you by Mubi. Um, the online curated streaming cinema showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. Everyday Movie premieres a new film. You have 30 days to watch. Um, they also have a library feature that allows for greater access to a wider selection of films with no time crunch. There are some uh, great movies on there. Let's look at one of these. Um, this one is called Seduction of the Flesh. It's a 2018 film. <clears throat> Leo Brassain is a major figure in Brazil's underground cinema marginal, a radical movement that developed in opposition to Cinema Novo. His recent work is an eloquent, eccentric riddle, a woman's one-way conversation with a parrot that acts as a reflection between memory and prophecy. I think everyone knows why I decided that this was the film that needed to be highlighted, because that sounds amazing, and it also has a wonderful title. So, if you would like to check out that movie... Along with many, many others, feel free to uh, utilize this offer code. You can go to mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. I will say, however, that if you've been listening to this show, it is now, at the releasing of this episode, too late to watch LaFleur. Michael Snydell, did you get a chance to watch LaFleur? (laughs) I watched uh, part one of LaFleur. I, I got this. I, I, Bill, get, get out of here. That sounds like me. <laughs> um, but I will say there is something they recently added. Uh, so I have not seen much of Lena Vertmuller, uh, but they're doing a retrospective about her um, right now. And one thing I caught earlier this year was Love and Anarchy which is this uh, really wonderful, melancholy, absurdist comedy about fascism. Um, And it's, uh, I really recommend that. And I'm definitely not doing this just to distract from the fact that I did not get through LaFleur after I promised I would get through LaFleur. (laughs) Easy for you to say. Uh, Yes. So that is Lena Vertmuller's Extravagant 70s. That is a series that is going on now. Check it out. Um, they also, other series they've got, New Brazilian Cinema is uh, what Seduction of the Flesh was from, and uh, Festival Focus, Locarno Film Festival also going on. So there's a bunch of great stuff. It helps to cut through the swaths of other lesser streaming services offerings. Uh, no shade to anyone in particular, but you know who you are. And again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. And that... Ladies and gentlemen, is about it. Uh, we can now get to our feature review, which, as I said, is The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Now, I feel like before we even yeah, get Lacerna, into this... <laughs> Isla Serna, right? It's Isla Serna, is, yeah. Yeah, and the other one was Isla Nubar? Yes. Yeah. Woo! Nailed it. This is just going to turn into a giant trivia challenge, isn't it? Of Just people trying to impress other people. (laughs) This movie, based on the novel by Michael Crichton, uh, written by David Kep, and directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, This was a movie released in 1997, and we are talking about it today because, Bilga, you wrote a a little 
uh, I don't I don't know whether to call it an article or an essay. You wrote a piece about this film. You talked about that it was Spielberg's nastiest film and you loved it. So that is why we're here for anyone out there in listener land who is super <laughs> confused right now. Why we're talking about the Lost World Jurassic Park before talking about actual Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park on podcasts, probably a dime a dozen. The Lost World, however, <laughs> that's something special. Uh, before we get into it. Just as, like us. We are indeed, Bill, something sure. special. <laughs> that is precisely correct. Uh, before we get into it, here is part of the trailer for The Lost World Jurassic Park. Now it's only a matter of time before this lost world is found and pillaged. All right, we got the titular line. It's time to duck out of the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) The lightning every time. So I don't know. I we're like the, this is going to be one of those crazy all-encompassing episodes. First of all, for anyone listening, we're not having a spoiler section, and I don't know why you'd assume that we would. I will say that there. This movie is a tremendous part of my childhood. Um, this one or the first? The, both of them, but this one specifically because yeah, I was ten when this came out, and I had seen the original Jurassic Park in theaters. But this might be the first movie that I was aware of and excited for before, like I don't know, the week before I saw it. <laughs> sure, you know because sure. when you're a kid it's just like oh we're going to the movies what's the movie and then it's sure. like oh it's this freaking awesome thing about dinosaurs uh this on the other hand i was like i have to watch the super bowl to see the teaser <laughs> um i read stuff on the internet about it maybe i might be making that up i don't know if i had the internet in 97 but this was like a tremendous oh, no. moment for me as a as a kid because i i uh my birthday was situated or is situated may 21st and so almost mm. constantly, that is the Memorial Day weekend. And so the biggest of the big back in the 90s, uh, back when the summer movie season didn't start in April, that was when huge shit came out. And so uh, we would always have a May birthday 23rd parties. for this one. Yeah. Uh, May 23rd, 1997. Sorry, I just wanted to specify. Absolutely. See, my memory, sharp as a tack. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> wow. I took like 20 kids to see this movie. Um wow. Yeah, so like I, there's like I said, there's gonna be a lot to talk about. Super excited. He put them on his back. <laughs> yes, I carried <laughs> them forcibly. <laughs> but let us begin with our guest. the The reason that we are here, uh, Bilga, is the reason for the season in this case. So, Bilga Beery, why don't you kick us off with your basic nutshell? feelings on the Lost World Jurassic Park, and I, I assume that you too saw this in theaters. I did see it in theaters. It's funny, as you were talking, I started to, like, I was trying to figure out where I saw it. Because, so here's here's a weird thing. In most, For most of 1997, I was actually not in the country. Um, I was in Russia and Prague working on a movie. And um, so, you know, I was not 10 years old <laughs> at the time. Um, but I was... It's incredible. So I was in, by the time this film kind of came out internationally, I think I would have been in Prague. So I think I saw it then. Um, 
and it's weird because I remember the films I saw in Prague really clearly, and, and, I, and I don't remember if I saw. I remember seeing, but I remember my first um, screening of the Lost World. I just don't remember where it happened. Um, but I remember being so kind of taken by how how much darker it was than the first one, which you know, which was a, obviously a big hit back in nineteen ninety uh, ninety three, um, but. You know, even though its reputation over the years has, has kind of only grown as like this classic, especially since like an entire generations that sort of grew up with it have come of age. Um, at the time that it came out, it was seen as kind of frivolous. I mean, it was seen as, yeah, that was fun. Spielberg doing his Spielberg thing. Uh, and it's 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 fun. And, oh, look, it's the highest grossing movie of all time. Of course, that was going to happen. You know, and then later that year, he releases Schindler's List. Um, and it's. You know, there's very much the sense that Spielberg has kind of entered into new territory. In fact, he even says after Schindler's is something like that he doesn't see himself making another, you know, Indiana Jones movie uh, with Nazis and stuff, um, which, you know, it, and, and there was the sense that he had kind of changed. And as I understand it, he initially didn't really want to direct The Lost World that much, um, but kind of, you know, was was talked into doing it and um so i didn't have very high hopes going into it even though i'd liked you know the, the previous one um and i was just really shocked that he went in such a dark direction with it now the thing that you just said about um the sense of anticipation for um for the lost world i experienced that with um with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which which this film is kind of a weird corollary to, because you know I was eight years old, I think, when I saw um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and you know while we knew it was a big hit, I didn't know anything about it going in, and of course it was like the most amazing thing I'd ever seen, and so by the time Temple of Doom was getting ready to come out, like that was a movie you read about and you know, you saw the trailers and you got all the books and you cut out the pictures from like the magazines and like we were all psyched. I, you know, played hooky from school. My mom took me and my friends to see like it's, you know, I had that whole experience with Temple of Doom and Temple of Doom did something very similar, even though Raiders is actually quite shocking and dark and people's faces melt. <laughs> Temple of Doom amazingly <laughs> took that even further, so much so that like it actually forced the MPAA to create a new rating. Um but uh, he kind of did it again with the Lost World, in my in my view, um, and I just found that really bracing and and refreshing, and I was just kind of with it the whole way, in a way that I wasn't necessarily with Jurassic Park, which which I enjoyed and appreciated. Mm. But the Lost World, I was just riveted and just waiting to see who was go going to get torn to pieces next, you know. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting that he 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 twice decides that like he's going to amp up um i remember seeing indiana jones and temple of doom on tv i don't know if it was on tv or if it was a vhs or something and and uh having seen the first indiana jones i was like i can handle this and i was i don't you know i was probably like four or five and i could not <laughs> handle it it was like i like it was it was almost like even like before the heart ripping there's just so much in that movie that's like begging you not to watch it anymore. <laughs> well, he's, I mean, the thing is, he is, and I, I said this in my piece on The Lost World, and I've said it elsewhere as well. He's a horror director at heart. I mean, that's kind of how he came up. And, 
and it it never quite left him, especially in sort of that that first stage of his career when he was having the big iconic hits. I mean, Close Encounters, Jaws, Raiders. You know, these are films that that rely on. I mean, Jaws obviously it's a horror movie. <laughs> E.T. Like these are films that rely on horror tropes to work, right? And it's really they're, they're like one or two degrees removed from horror because, you know, in the 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 alien is a, a, a nice alien, you know, and um, and Raiders at the end the 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 box opens and the phantoms come out, but they kill the Nazis. You know, they don't kill the good guys; they kill the Nazis. You know, right. um, sure. So it's you know, so so those films aren't horror, and and you know they're tongue in cheek and they're fun and everything, um, but it's clear that that's he's still like his impulse is to still kind of stage a scene almost as if it's a horror scene or almost as if it's something out of the thriller. I mean, you see that in something like the post, uh, you know, like the post is, I mean, mm. you know, it's, it's a film about the, the Pentagon papers and it's about journalism and it's about politics and all that, but individual scenes are shot like scenes out of a thriller. Um, and, and I, I've always felt that that is one of the secrets of Spielberg's success in that he, he kind of took the horror vernacular and used it to create, you know, films of, of broader appeal, you know, family movies and action adventures and sort of escapist, uh, you know, sci-fi fantasies and things like that. Um, and but then, like, when he gets a chance to really sort of let it go, as he did with Temple of Doom and as he did with The Lost World, um his impulse is to kind of just go in that really ruthless direction. And, you know, and the other thing is he's very excited about it at first and then tends to, tends to later kind of double think, you know, double think it because that's, or, or, or second guess himself because, um, you know, I've, I've read an interview where he talks about how, you know, he doesn't think the lost world was all that successful. Um, and and I don't know if he ever said something like that about Temple of Doom either, but I remember a review before Temple of Doom, and I don't know if it was Lucas or Spielberg, because you know, they used to be interviewed together for these things. One of them said, like, you know, every once in a while you make a film that, 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 that that's really the movie you've always wanted to make. And that's kind of how they talked about Temple of Doom. Um, and, and I feel like there is this there's a real dark side to Spielberg, and occasionally it it opens up and when it does, it's kind of glorious. All right. Michael Snydell, your nutshell thoughts on the lost world, Jurassic park. Uh, as Bogo was saying that I was reminded of something. It seemed like this, uh, 4th of July weekend, everyone in the world seemed to rewatch Jaws, which, you know, <laughs> they should Jaws rules, but it I, I do remember. 4K. Yeah. Oh, did it really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I, either way, I, 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 there was a tweet by Will Sloan, uh, this July 4th weekend. And he said, uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. He was saying, you know, he, part of him wishes that it hadn't been quite so gigantic a hit and Spielberg could have kept making exploitation movies. And I <laughs> felt like that was kind of a, I related to what you uh, were saying, Bilga, in the sense that like, I think you, I, I don't think you're wrong at all about that horror impulse. And I mean, even Jaws is, is something that, you know, uh, for as much as it has these, you know, uh, 
beautiful monologues and, and things from Robert Shaw. I mean, it, it is a slasher for most oh, of yeah. it. And I, and, and I think that, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting thinking about thinking about Jurassic Park and, and Lost World. So I, I revisited Jurassic Park earlier this week. And I think what I always forget about Jurassic Park is that around the hour mark, it's just nonstop set pieces. They yeah. don't feel quite as dangerous as Lost World, but like it's pretty it's pretty relentless. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the you know, from the T-Rex uh breaking the top um the top roof of the the jeep and like they're holding the glass uh the glass window up from the the jeep going down from uh you know trying to turn the breakers on <laughs> like <laughs> it really is relentless but i i think that there is i i think that you guys are are all totally right and i want to talk about this more is like going back to the slasher mentality i think it's really interesting when you think about the rationales behind this film uh so spoilers for jurassic park i I, I shouldn't have to say that but you know nedry and the the lawyer whose name i cannot for the life of uh, janeiro yeah thank you brian and so nedry and janeiro you know like nedry's kind of this uh you know bumbling you know sleazeball you know uh Gennaro immediately abandons the kids like like they very much earn their death in a, in a weird moralistic way i mean like not so much with samuel L. jackson but um well there's a reason I that he dies off screen you know he's no, a no, I, he's a stakes raiser that's a good point no, you're 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 totally right, and that's a good point. But I to bring that back to Lost World, I think rewatching it on this most recent time, like there there are characters who really don't deserve it. Richard Schiff is oh, a, poor Richard Schiff. <laughs> poor I mean, poor poor Richard Schiff. Poor bastard goes through. <laughs> Every time I watch, he's he's the dude. He's Eddie, right? Oh, sorry. He's, he's yes, um Eddie. yeah. He gets he gets straight up ripped in half by two t-rexes by two oh, yeah, yeah. But, but after going through the tortures of the damned yes. um, right and, after leaving the yeah. high hide which is a a phrase he says that so much that it's very clear that he is pleased with that name and no one ever responds to it in a way that like i think he likes so he just keeps saying it like if there's a point when like they're game out of that <laughs> they're all gonna die and and Malcolm is like you know where's my daughter and he's and Eddie's like it's okay she's in the high hide <laughs> and it's just like come on Eddie stop trying to make high hide happen <laughs> but um yeah so I guess that like I mean Richard Schiff's the major one but I think again I think it's interesting, for instance, that Peter Stormare, like he's a he's a sadist from our first, you know, his first moment on on screen. Like, you know, you have uh, Hammond's nephew, I believe is who he is. But like uh, what I'm saying is like a lot of these people really earn their deaths. And I, I think it's I mean, I, I know we're going to get into this, but it is very weird and, and maybe this conversation will help me a little bit. It is very weird that I still have a strong problem with that scene everybody talks about in Jurassic World where their, uh, you know, babysitter essentially gets ripped to pieces and Lost World feels 
totally in control uh, of that. I, uh, slasher. First of all, I have to be the ombudsman here and correct your factual inaccuracy. She's not torn to pieces. She is swallowed right? whole by a mosasaur. Okay. Well, she's, she's a bunch of things happened to her, right? Right. She's picked up by a pterodactyl. Pterodactyl. And then okay. she's dropped into the water, and then she is picked up by yet another pterosaur, and then both of them are devoured by the mosasaur. I would argue <sighs> still not as cruel as everything that happens to Richard Schiff in this movie. I, I would yeah. agree, but yeah. I uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. The last bit is I would just say I think that the way this balances all of those rationales works really well. I also just think this movie is it just works like gangbusters. Like I, I think there are a lot of really, really underrated set pieces in here. You know, uh, speaking of Temple of of Doom, like the opening in that is just it's just unbelievable. And I think people, you know, throw the baby out the, with the bathwater if they don't like Temple of Doom. And I think Lost World, you know. Everybody just uses the gymnastic scene as as a as a generalization oh of the entire film. Um, it's like two seconds. I know. I, <laughs> Still pretty freaking dumb, though. <laughs> I, I'm on. I'm on your side, Billy. I'm not bothered by it at all. Uh, but I'm just saying, nonetheless. I think there's something interesting about. I I I don't know if I would argue that this has been reclaimed uh to the extent that you would think it would at this point as I much would, as like even the it, people who are down on it like love the rv scene for instance i would say that i'm gonna say two things <clears throat> one jurassic park three has been reclaimed more than this movie has which is very strange. really yes i so i oh well, I, yeah i mean i i think so but it's because of like the massive amounts of anecdotal evidence and it sounds like bilga that you agree with me in that assessment I think so. I mean, I, I mean, I, I hate Jurassic Park three and <laughs> it, it's, it's it, like, I, I try to, um, you know, I'm perhaps in a little bit of denial about the fact that that has been reclaimed. Um, but, <laughs> but I do get the sense that, no, I mean, lost world is definitely not reclaimed. I mean, I, I feel like I maybe helped reclaim it a little bit. I mean, but like after mm. my piece, I got a lot of people, kind of coming out of the woodwork and saying, yes, yes, sure. yes it's great. Uh, which is always, you know, usually there's like one or two pieces that have to come out before it, it, it really starts to happen. And with all these films, I think there are probably, you know, it's a generational thing. I mean, there are people who saw it at the right time in their lives uh, and in their childhoods and, and it had an impact on them. Same with Jurassic Park 3. And probably, you know, one day, listen, there are going to be Jurassic World stands that we have to deal with in the future. Get ready, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I don't. I would never call myself a stan of anything, but I will say <laughs> that I. You can listen to our episode on it. I quite liked that movie when it came out, and I I would still. I, I mean, this is tipping my hand a little bit, but I think I'd prefer to watch that to this. Mm. What? <laughs> so, so uh, I, I will say one thing about the one thing about the assistant who gets who gets killed, um, sure, wantonly in uh, Jurassic World, and um, and Richard Schiff here. I think Spielberg understands one thing, which is if you're going to kind of have a big elaborate death scene for somebody, it either has to be somebody we care about a lot or somebody we don't we, that we hate a lot. You know, like it has to be somebody 
we have strong feelings for. And my problem with Dormare, that character's for instance. Yeah, like it's like my problem with that character character's death in Jurassic World is that we don't really know anything about her. It just kind of it becomes this gratuitous I mean, we know like that she's kind of annoyed at having to take care of these kids, but we know so little about her. And then she gets this yeah. really kind of big, you know, elaborate, gratuitous death scene, um, sure. which is, you know, it's not so much that it feels needlessly cruel. It just feels kind of like, are you sure you, your movie knows what it's doing? That's that's kind of mm. like that's the part where I'm like, I'm not sure the filmmaker is in control of his material uh, because this seems like a death scene that kind of came out of nowhere, you know? Um, it seems like it belongs in a different movie. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. yeah I just remember, and I don't want to get into the, I don't want this whole episode to be litigating different Jurassic parks and which is your favorite, but I just, I remember <laughs> watching that movie and just like having a fucking blast with it. And then I was shocked that I came out of it and like, there were people who hated it, especially because it then went on to make like a billion dollars. Sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like when you make that much money as a movie, I don't feel like you need to or deserve to be defended because you got what you <laughs> no. came for. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and this this was my deal when when I first uh, w- when we talked about Jurassic World. But like, what the fuck? This is the single franchise, like big name franchise of any kind of size that deals with dinosaurs like everything else. Just like. <laughs> It, it was just like everything else was just like, nah, we're not going to deal with that. Like, we've gotten a bunch of fucking robot movies, right? We've gotten uh, <laughs> Real Steel. We've gotten Transformers. We've gotten Pacific uh, Rim, w- w- Pacific Rim of among many others. Right. And it's sure. like this is basically the dinosaur franchise and that's it and so why did why did world make a lot of money it's because people like fucking dinosaurs this is bill's pitch constantly is just like where are the dinosaurs and i have to say that i agree with it because we get dinosaurs like shows the money i mean you know as uh, you know as as the father of a of a young child yes dinosaurs are still uh still retain their fascination. I think the reason why we haven't gotten other, you know, other franchises that, um, that have dealt with dinosaurs is because Jurassic Park was so successful and did such a good job of it that it's been hard for others to, to sort of survive in its wake. I mean, we've certainly gotten movies. I mean, look, we had the Disney movie Dinosaur, and then we had Walking with Dinosaurs, and then we had... The Good um, Dinosaur? The Good Dinosaur, which I really liked. Which oh my was, god, so did I. All right, yeah, which, which I thought was going to be a huge hit. No, so wasn't. Um, good Dinosaur is so good. That. You cannot claim the Good Dinosaur. It is not. It's a great movie, and it's going to be our next classic episode. Yeah, no. yeah. I'm I'm going to write my next think piece about the Good Dinosaur. <laughs> I watched um, that movie with my daughter, and she really loves it. And I'm like, yes, Cora, you are correct, and Michael Snydell is wrong as always. It's uh, you know, but but like I think. I think because Jurassic Park has been so successful and, and this franchise sure. has been so successful, it's been hard for others to be like, ah, oh, you know, you know what we should do? We should make a movie about dinosaurs, you know? <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I, I think that's, I, I think that is, is relevant. That it's almost like it has a monopoly on that literal idea in, in a sense, like you can't go face to face with, uh, 
a Jurassic Park. Like they're not even, you know, they haven't even had a successful Jurassic Park TV show. Or, you know, I I remember something like Dinotopia the, near the beginning of the 2000s. But I, either way, Di- Dino Dan. Dino Dan. Dino. Is Dinotopia the one where it's like weird Greco-Roman architecture, but there's dinosaurs? Are you talking yes. about dinosaurs like the the comedy? No, there no, was no, like no. a Dinotopia. It's like a there's like a book okay. series. There's there's dinosaur train. Uh, there's right? ex Terra. No, was that it? Oh was... yeah 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 Terra Terra T E R R A. Is that right? There's yes, like another yes, word yes. in there, though, isn't there? Terra Nova. That's Terra Nova. It. <laughs> Terra Nova. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I covered that at like Comic Con. Like, yeah, that was that was a big name, like shot. But, like, no, it, it yeah. did, it didn't go anywhere. What a failure of a television had, uh, series. Yeah, he even had uh, what, what's his name from Avatar in it? Stephen Lang. Yes. Oh, playing okay. his character yeah, from Avatar. Mean, I think you mean Stephen Lang from Manhunter. <laughs> I think you mean Stephen Lang from Oh Public Enemies. Public Enemies. Yeah, yeah. I was like that other one. <laughs> Michael Mann regular. Oh, here comes <laughs> Michael Mann regular Stephen Lang. This is I funny because I was how? about to say that Jurassic World didn't derail us because I thought it was interesting to talk about the violence, and then we got immediately derailed. By yes, we have been derailed very hard. I just want to say now that you've said Michael Mann regular Stephen Lang. Um, I would love it if instead of like Academy Award winner, that that was how they started pitching people in trailers. Oh, yeah. Frequent collaborator. Yeah. Repertory player. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Martin Scorsese regular Robert De Niro. <laughs> anyway. Um, so who I, I am lost now. Who hasn't had a chance to give their basic thoughts Me, on Bill. this movie? Bill, Bill did not. You think yeah. this is a good movie? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, ah, uh, you know, it, look, I, it, <laughs> Jurassic Park is my shit. Like, absolutely, like, absolutely, absolutely my shit. So, I mean, it's, it's tough because, I don't know, like, I, I would watch Jurassic Park over this all day long. And I'm well, not I don't think that anyone's that's... arguing that this is better than yeah, Jurassic yeah. Park. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the argument, but uh, you know, it the, the set pieces in this movie are really fucking good. Like they just show that there's just a different class of uh, like filmmaker. When no, so uh, I mean, I don't want to sit here and say that this movie, but. Um, it's it's certainly better than I had remembered it being. So I'll, I'll give Bilga that. I'll, I'll uh, take that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was really fucking surprised by how much like backstory and how much world building this film actually does for the franchise overall. Um, even having seen like Jurassic World and and what was the second one? What the fuck? Fallen was Dark Kingdom. Kingdom? Fallen Kingdom. Uh, is it called Jurassic World or is it called Fallen Kingdom? It's Jurassic, Jurassic World, World. <laughs> Fallen Kingdom. Okay. Oh, oh boy. This is one is of the a, more confusingly named is it series. A dash? Yes. Dash. It's no, a dash, it's not a colon. Can oh, we get boy, this right? These are the important pedantic. questions. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Grammar police. Yeah. Have, as, as long as we find out whatever happened to Rambo 2. 
<laughs> it's it is a colon. I looked it up. Okay, okay, it is a colon. Anyways, uh, they they at least stuck with that. Um, anyways, so yeah, I was surprised by how much world building this film actually sets up. Um, n- not even just like the the Isla Sorna and Isla Nubar and this is Site B. Like that that's all in like the Crichton book, which you know, uh, I'll fucking like stand for that i i love both of the Crichton books um but i feel like this one does a surprising amount of world building that i just i mean it takes them what a good 30 minutes before they even arrive on the island i was was really stunned and shocked by that um i i thought this was just strictly an island movie just because i remember the uh the compies and and all of that stuff and i was like oh yeah this is this is a straight island right and no it takes takes quite a while to get there you know uh, i mean some of these films they kind of fall into that kind of trap um but what else do I want to say? Um, this one relies a little bit too much on CGI. And I think that's one of the biggest pitfalls is that you can definitely tell uh, when there are CGI dinosaurs and when there aren't. Um, because they're still using some of the animatronics and still using some of the puppetry and stuff like that. Um, some of that wizardry. And, but I feel like some of the sequences, they definitely utilize more, uh, CGI dinosaurs, uh, than they really should. Um, but all the Raptor scenes are fucking fantastic. Still, (laughs) still like the absolute fucking highlight of this entire series is, it's just the fact that like now people even know what a Velociraptor is, which is maybe not actually it should be a utah raptor anyways but you know that's neither here nor oh there. bill do you know how many <laughs> no, conversations no, no. it's like well it's much more of a utah raptor or even a dionychus than a velociraptor which was really quite small mm-hmm. do we Been have there. two paleontologists on this episode <laughs> <laughs> i was a wannabe paleontologist i have there's a funny story from my childhood um look i i, I I get sucked into Wikipedia way too easy. So that does not surprise me even a little bit. When I was a kid, you know, the teacher did like the, okay, welcome to the first day of class. Like, let's all do, let's all say what we want to be when we grow up and we'll write it on the board. And there's like firefighter, astronaut. And then she comes to me and I'm like, paleontologist. And she goes to start writing. And it's clear she has no idea how to spell paleontologist. (laughs) And then she turned to me and said, do you know how to spell paleontologist? And I was like, I'm six. <laughs> no, I don't know how to spell paleontologist. You're also it's a giant it's a giant room full of children. Like just write the damn word and we won't know any better. <laughs> but it was I just so kind I of could, a Tim. Hmm. Were you kind of a Tim from Jurassic Park then? Yeah. I, oh fuck yeah, it was. It was uh it was terrible <laughs> for everyone around me. Um, and my daughter is turning into that as well. Uh, in fact, I think two weeks ago. She was part of like a massive online class learning about dinosaurs. Um, it was like an That's hour cool. a day each week. It was pretty great. Uh, so, That's And then cool. from that, she got a new stuffed dinosaur. Not from that, but because of that, I would then purchase her a new stuffed dinosaur and two books that are children's books that have dinosaur protagonists. Mm. So I'm, I'm, it's, yeah, she's becoming like me in so many ways. And uh, one of them... <laughs> 
is that she's now obsessed with dinosaurs. A friend of mine was upset to find out that she had missed my daughter's birthday and said, what is she like? I'll get her a present. And I was like, well, she likes dinosaurs, insects, <laughs> spiders, snakes, lizards. What? And then I was just naming off all the things that she likes. And I was like, ooh, I got to start showing her some ponies or something because I am doing a disservice spiders. to this child. She loves spiders. Oh, no. That's awesome. There was a huge spider that had a web. I have uh, Christmas lights around my front porch because it looks better than just the, the light that's on my front porch. And the spiders, <laughs> devious motherfuckers that they are, build their webs on the Christmas lights so that a moth or a bug moving towards the light necessarily has yeah. to hit their web. And there was like a quarter-sized spider that was tying up a moth. And I took a bunch of pictures of it. And Cora woke up in the morning and I was like, I took pictures for you and showed her. And she was thrilled. So anyway, uh, that's, that's awesome. me. It's going like the off. Adams family. <laughs> Pretty much, we're getting there. We are getting there. Uh, um, my, son, my son, my son's gone through phases where he's really into insects and beetles and spiders and things like that. So I, I can totally relate. They're they're fascinating. I I myself was never. I mean, I was really into sea creatures. I was never a big dinosaur person. Oh, um, interesting. But, but I think. Well, I mean, honestly, I feel like Jurassic Park actually helped you know, make dinosaur people a thing. Um, oh, absolutely. I, you know. and, and which is funny because he did that earlier with fucking Jaws, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like My all, really all the oceanographers and stuff like that. Like, I, I mean, I think, I think it's even in the documentary about uh, the making of that. And like, I think Benchley might even talk about it a little bit, but like everybody just like refers to, um, well, I can't remember his name now. Uh, what what is Bro? Not Brody. No, no, no. Yeah, the, the character. No, no. Yeah, it's Dreyfus. Dreyfus. Oh, Dreyfus. Um, Sorry. And, Hooper. You know. <laughs> yeah, Hooper. Uh, and they just refer to him as just like this rock star of the oceanography, like you know, kind of scene. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Well, well, it's interesting because when, when I was a kid, um, I mean, my dream was to become a marine biologist. And, you know, I, I grew up in Turkey and, and, I, and I spent a lot of time uh, by the sea and diving and stuff like that. But um, I also, you know, I was growing up in the, the mid to late 70s. Now, Jaws didn't come to Turkey until we had left. It came in the 80s because back then it took years for movies. But we got all the Jaws knockoffs in Turkey. So, <laughs> so, Piranha and Orca. Like, well, yeah, like Tentacles was one of the first films I ever saw. I was like obsessed with it. Orca, I was <laughs> obsessed with. Warlords of Atlantis, which has like a giant moray eel. I, I love The Deep. All these movies about the sea I was completely obsessed with as a kid. And it's like I never, you know, in the past never thought of it as Jaws having much of an impact on me. Although I knew about Jaws and I'd like read the novel to Jaws when I was a kid um, and only saw the movie much later. But I think it was related, at least to some extent, to, to the effect that Jaws had on the culture. I just hadn't mm. seen Jaws. I'd seen all the other things that Jaws gave way to. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like I'm as much a child of Spielberg as, you know, like the, the, the all the dinosaur geeks that came out of the Jurassic Park experience. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how we got here. <laughs> and then thus, no, I don't know where to go back to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna. I have to be real as the host of this we show. We're talking I'm like, about our children. 
Yeah, we. <laughs> no, I, yeah, we were yeah. talking about your your child specifically and what but her like, interests why did were. Why that happen? I I don't. Oh, remember. we were okay because so Bill, the I Utah remember Utah Raptor. You and I were talking about the Utah Raptor, and they said like, oh, a oh, couple boy. of paleontologists. So Michael Snydell, you did this. Um, oh, as usual. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, perfectly good things to talk about when talking about a Jurassic Park movie. Well, that's right. so that's where like my opinion of this movie comes in is like you know I was that kid. I was obsessed with dinosaurs. I I had books on dinosaurs. In elementary school, we had so, so to, you were the opposite of the of the turkey kid in the first movie. Oh yeah, I wouldn't have been that kid. I would have been like, <laughs> "This looks like a big turkey." Alan Grant would have loved me. <laughs> All right. I uh, okay. I thought, I thought for a second. I thought for a second when you said the turkey kid, I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> this turkey guy we got on our podcast. Oh my god! Am I supposed to <laughs> right, because you weren't into dinosaurs, and I really was into dinosaurs. <laughs> I'm glad I said the uh, the first movie <laughs> for context. <laughs> just, just so, yeah, because the last time I heard the word turkey spoken, oh boy. Um, so yeah, anyway, so yeah, I I I I was that kid. So like, I I had a bunch of Jurassic Park picture books. Swear to God that I learned to read specifically to read the Jurassic Park picture book that I got. Um, I have a very clear rec- recollection of referring to him as Dur Grant. Because I didn't know that DR period was short for doctor until I was reading it out loud and my mother corrected me. And I was like, whoa, you're telling me that that thing is the word doctor? And she's like, well, it's a yes. Yes, it is. Because she didn't feel like talking to me about uh, shortening of words. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. And I, I like read the novel Jurassic Park. I read the novel The Lost World. I was super excited for this movie. And then we went and saw it on my birthday and I saw it and I loved it at the time. And um, I rem- I have a very clear recollection. And I think about this often as like, what don't children realize about the people around them? And so in this movie, Roland Tembo takes down <laughs> one of the t- Why are you laughing at me for knowing a character name? No, it's not. It's just the, the fact that you're fixating on this. I'm, I'm excited. Please continue. Roland Tembo <laughs> shoots a, a T-Rex uh, with a tranquilizer dart, right? And Pete Postlethwaite. Yep. Yes. P- Roland Tembo, played by Pete Postlethwaite, yeah. the greatest yeah, actor Yeah, no, ever. no. It, it's, got, it's, it, it's good to have the Postlethwaite uh, name drop because I, I didn't know who you were talking about either. Oh, my God. You people. Anyway, yeah, um, so anyway, Roland Tembo. I'm pulling up IMDb. Right played now. by Pete Postlethwaite. He name's just so fun to say, too. I'm, I, I'm sorry. I'm done. Please. I'm just trying to tell this story so Roland hard right Tembo. now. <laughs> he drops this T-Rex with a tranquilizer dart. We don't really see anything else about that except for this, un, like, this scene that I clearly... I don't even know why it's in the movie, in all honesty, where um, Hammond's... Uh, nephew i think he is yeah yeah he he shows up and is like oh my god and like walks towards something but you don't even see it now um the rest of the movie up until the point that it's not about this anymore focuses on dr ian malcolm sarah harding (laughs) nick van owen i'm just saying all this just to annoy everyone and peter love Yes, trying to trying to get to the radio room and survive this raptor attack, and then and then they're like in the helicopters because they managed to get out, 
And every single person, as that kind of denouement happens around me, begins to stand up. And I, as a child, mind you, say, wait, they still have the T-Rex. And people look at me and then look at the screen and then see the T-Rex and everything gearing up for that San Diego finale. And they sink back into their chairs. And I thought to myself, kidding, man? Huh. I thought to myself, wow. hey, hey, look at me being super smart and getting this movie more than these people. I was paying more attention. And now I wonder, did they just want to get out of the theater? <laughs> Were they just so happy to think this movie was over huh. that they got to get away? Um and I'll never know because I have no idea who all those people were. And I don't know if the Marley Station Mall even still has a movie theater. So, yeah. Or, um, or if that mall even still exists. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good point. You should Google Malls. that. <laughs> the, um, yeah, well, it's, it's about to get really depressing. Um, sure. <laughs> but I, that's interesting. I've never, I mean, in all the times I've seen Lost World, I've never had that. You know, sometimes you can tell when a film feels like it's gearing to towards an ending even though you know it's not over but i never i never got that sense from the lost or those scenes in the lost world like it's just it's one of those things where it's like the movie has told its story like and and watching it this time it felt even more so like this movie is about these people going to this island to save sarah harding or whatever getting involved with these poachers and now they all got to work together to get out. This unlikely band of misfits. And, and Ian Malcolm has to learn how to be a good dad or something. Mm. And like a better boyfriend sure. or something. And then he does. And they're like, oh, my God, we survived the nightmare. And then it's like, oh, wait, they're bringing this dinosaur back. And then it's just like, uh, now we got to like go through a whole setup of this boat crashing. And for whatever reason, Ian and and Sarah are just like, oh, I guess we've got to deal with this, too, because we're invested now. And it's like, I don't know. It just it really lands. It really lands flat for me. And as a kid, I remember really finding the dinosaur in America scenes to be thrilling. And watching mm-hmm. it this time, I was just like, I feel like there's more to be done here. Like, I just I, it's kind of a bummer that he like goes, eats a dog, terrorizes some people outside of Blockbuster and then, and then is like, oh, it, blockbuster. And then chases like a, a fake movies, a Grand Prix or whatever. Tsunami Sunrise starring Tom Hanks. Yeah, that's not a real yes. movie. Jack oh, starring and, uh, Robin Williams. What, what, what was what was uh, Henry uh, the Shakespeare King, King, King Lear starring yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger? Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's right. <laughs> which is which is which I feel like is maybe a comment on uh, the Last Action Hero, which has Hamlet starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Maybe like people were trying. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, it's all commenting on uh, on you know Mel Gibson doing Hamlet for Zephyrell, sure. which was an actual thing that happened. Um, yeah. But I don't I don't know. Like so I I watch this movie and like there's there's like when I watch Jurassic Park I am in awe and I'm a child again. And when I watch this movie I just think about how stupid children are. <laughs> because <laughs> I loved this movie. I got the Jurassic Park or the Lost World Jurassic Park board game for my mm-hmm. birthday. Does anyone even know is what that, I am talking about right now? Is is that like Jumanji? <laughs> no. I actually I did get the Jumanji game. Because I'm pretty sure Jumanji was another movie that I watched on my birthday. But no, this was a game that it basically was that not the last act of the movie that feels like the last act of the movie. 
where you play all the people trying to get to safety through this worker's village and the velociraptors and a T-Rex are after you. And so um, there's dice to roll to figure out. There's like little cardboard buildings that you can like hide in or on or something. It was staggeringly complex for a child. (laughs) But I loved it and I forced people to play it with me all the time because it was my favorite game because I love dinosaurs and I love The Lost World. This is the story about the soundtrack. I loved this movie so much that in the interstitial period between it being available in theaters and me being able to buy it on VHS, I bought the soundtrack so I could listen to it on cassette in a Walkman every time I went anywhere. Wow. This score, which is not great, but has its moments. I disagree as well. I think that like... score. I think that yeah. it, it's interesting to listen to now because like Jurassic Park is like a phenomenal score. It is it is all time stuff. And this one is very weird. It's got like the the, the I don't want to call them like bongos, the but like the hand drums. Yeah. Yeah, it's got it's got some very like kind of idiosyncratic percussion. And the I, horns? I think it's totally fair to say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Especially like the raptor sequences that has like a really interesting Rhythm. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I think digress. that I, I think that that raptor sequence in the village is the the part of this movie that works the best for me. Um, okay, not the every, RV. RV doesn't work for you at all. I mean, the RV worked for me a lot as a kid. Looking at it this time, there's stuff in it that like I enjoy, but also I just I just still get I don't get the same feeling from it as like from the car attack in a uh, in the Jurassic Park, which is clearly what it's going for. Like, there's a lot of similarish stuff happening in this movie. When you grafted onto the other one, and um, yeah, I just it just and like this movie feels like it has a lot of weird humor question mark like it, it does it does like, for sure even when, though it's the same writer as Jurassic Park fascinatingly enough yeah who uh, like apparently was like I got to amp up the dinosaurs I think like he legitimately said that like he had a the letter taped up from a kid that was like get to the dinosaurs faster. Um, <laughs> which doesn't happen it's, it's the economy stupid <laughs> yeah exactly i mean he does he does in, yeah i mean he's got the the compies attacking the little girl and then you know they get there and sure. it's like five minutes after landing on the island they get the stegosauruses who you know then attack sarah harding um played by julianne moore um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I don't know. The The RV attack just doesn't really work for me in the way that I remember it working for me as a kid. I think it just is a little too much happening. And I also think that like the the humorish parts really kind of great on me. Like the when 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 uh, Nick Van Owen, uh, who is played Vince Vaughn by Vince Vaughn. Yeah. For some reason, now the character names are sticking out to me more than the actors names um, <laughs> says, hang on to something. And then Ian Malcolm immediately also says, hang on to something. I don't know. Like, is that a joke? Is that like a comment of some kind? I don't get it. And then when, when Eddie is like, all right, I'm going to go get the rope. What Like, do you need anything else? And they start like giving him fast food orders. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, ah, this is like, you're cutting the immediacy. I don't know what's happening here. And it's just, it's, it's a, uh, I don't know. It just, I don't, I hate to be a bummer. I, I um, like the fast food orders. I thought that was, you know, it's like you know, alleviating tension kind of thing. Um, I just don't know if they're ready to have their tension alleviated at that point. <laughs> well, I, th- I think, I think they are thinking that they're pretty much rescued at that point. They don't, they don't realize a, that the dinosaurs are about to come back and B that, uh, his rope is gonna fucking fail. So yeah. 
I I can I can see that, but like in Jurassic Park, when Grant and Tim are I mean, getting it's, down it's, the tree, you know, Grant let's, gets let's Tim not, out of the. Let's not cut cut corners. Like Jurassic Park is hands down a much better film. Yeah, but I'm saying like he doesn't even seem to Spielberg, being the he, uh, doesn't even seem to follow his own precepts. Like in that movie, Tim doesn't say the well, we're back in the car again line until they are safe on the ground and the car has like fallen harmlessly over them. Mm-hmm. You know, and it would just be weird if like they got out and the tree, the the car was falling and like it's stuck on a branch and Tim like made a joke. It just, I don't know. I don't, you know, it's just, it's uh, it's weird. Sure, this movie sure. feels they're, they're quite, yeah. like Spielberg yeah. was having like an off day. It's just, it's like mm-hmm. when I wake up and I'm just like, nothing is working right for me. And like, I flip the pancake and then I realize that like, I didn't let it cook all the way. And I'm just like, well, maybe Cora won't notice or maybe I can like do this again. You know, it's just like it just feels like everything is just a quarter inch off. And that's enough for me to constantly stumble over things in this movie. But but sometimes that's I mean, sometimes that kind of movie is more interesting and maybe even more engaging because, I mean, Jurassic Park is, you know, a, a kind of very well polished, perfect little movie. Not little, obviously. Um <laughs> But, you know, I mean, so this is this is another thing. So 1993, obviously, is, is Spielberg's big year, right? He does Jurassic Park, which is the biggest movie of all time. And he does Schindler's <laughs> List, which is acclaimed as like the greatest movie of all time. Um, sure. And wins a boatload of Oscars, and which was a thing for many years. You know, it seemed like the Academy wasn't giving Spielberg his due. And he finally gets it. And, and since then, it's al- it's almost been like, the Academy can't stop nominating Spielberg. Whereas once upon a time it was like, you know, you know, who did he have to blow to get a best director nomination, you know? Um, and, uh, then, so that's 93. And then 97, when he releases lost world is also a double movie year. And that's the year that he, Amistad. Amistad, right. Mm-hmm. Which, which is also another film that, where, where people watch it and they're like, doesn't quite work it's not it's not schindler's list you know it's and it's got rough edges and it's it's not but sure. not, not a perfect movie but but i also really love amistad because like both of these movies in in their own way feel more personal to me than the other two i mean look i i think schindler's list is a better movie than amistad and i think jurassic park is a better movie than the lost world but for some reason i would much rather watch the two later films and there's something about them maybe in their imperfections you can kind of see Spielberg, the person emerge a little bit more so um, than in, in the polish of the other two, Um, Mm. you know, and that's kind of why, I mean, I I think I got into this a little bit in my piece, you know, another reason why I like the lost world so much is that, you know, all of Spielberg's anxieties about parenting and stuff really come to the fore in it. Mm -hmm. That is true. I just, I mean, like where the dinosaurs are better parents than the humans are, and well, I, I, I did, yeah. I did enjoy Ian's like relationship with his daughter, and and like I thought, I, I remember because I can't remember how how long it's been since I've seen The Lost World, but I thought that she was just constantly just kind of being a nuisance and just kind of being, you know. Uh, 
snuck onto this island for for no good fucking reason and then at some point like starts crying about it and i was like oh no this this kid is really annoying but like the relationship there really develops and it has some some interesting edges i think um that i wasn't giving it credit for as far as my memory is concerned so yeah i mean I I really enjoyed the relationship of of Jeff Goldblum and his child or the lack thereof and even even like Sarah Harding's uh relationship with Goldblum like I I love the fact that like she's she is very open about the fact that like she is never around and that's why he kind of loves her right cuz it's it's very non-committal like he gets to do his own thing and she gets to do her thing and then when they get together they're together and that's it do you buy the chemistry of them as a romantic pairing that is a question no. for anyone no i, I okay. can't i can't but buy any anybody having chemistry with goldblum just insanity. simply because he's that's an he's, insane no 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 that's no, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't let twitter find out about this <laughs> Wait, not that I don't find him insanely attractive as an older man now. This is it, this has gone very weird very quick. Um, but what I'm saying I is I don't know why. <laughs> um, I'm saying is that I find that he her chemistry with him is just completely off and I can't see him ever landing with anybody in any of these movies. Like I just like I don't, I don't buy any relationship with him. Period. I don't know. And, he's he's hitting well, it off with Gina Ellie Davis, Sadler. The fly. But 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 no. Let me ask you this though, because this is the thing I noticed in my recent rewatch of this thing, and I, I don't remember if this was something I noticed when I when I first saw it. Um, and it's not, it's not a thing in the movie. It's not stated, and and nobody acknowledges it. But it almost makes me wonder if something was cut because. Don't mm-hmm. you get the sense that there's more chemistry between her and Vince Vaughn? They have little, they're similar objectives. But there's something going on there because Vince Vaughn is more attentive to her. And there are actually a couple of sort of shots of the three of them where Vince Vaughn does this like awkward thing of like looking at her and then looking at him. There's actually one specific shot, which I noticed. I can't remember when exactly it happens. Um, I think it might even be like when they're. Uh, you know, leaving in the helicopter or something where sure. Vince Vaughn kind of looks at the two of them and, and there is this weird kind of, I don't know, like a part of me wonders if maybe there was a kind of, you know, some sexual tension between her and Vince Vaughn that was cut out of the film, maybe because it. Oh, I thought you. Yeah. I thought you just meant like on set and they just couldn't help. No, 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 that's not what I meant. But, but like, I wonder if that was like a, a sub, not a subplot, but kind of just like an emotional grace note that, that maybe they cut because it seemed inappropriate for a Jurassic Park movie. I don't know. It would help to, it would help to like galvanize Malcolm's character, you know, to, but I I know what you mean because if you think about this movie, the, he and uh, he being Nick and and Sarah have like a kind of Sam and Diane energy, mm-hmm. like like she that scene when he when she says spit and he spits at her yes yes instead of the gum and she yeah. wipes it on him and says you're gum and I'm just like ah oh, that is like some classic sitcom <laughs> yeah, that is beautiful yeah, like, straight out of bringing up baby. She's yeah. <laughs> she's penthouse and he's roadhouse and they're going to find a way to save this baby T-Rex together. Um oh boy. You would but watch I, that show. Wait, can I 
can I push back a little bit on this? So I, I agree with you guys that Julianne Moore and Goldblum do not have romantic chemistry in this, but I think all of the actors have a great rapport in this. And I think that even Julianne Moore, who, you know, is she's she's a little bit flat at times, but I think she's also a little bit stranger than kind of a standard archetype because she's a little bit socially awkward, but she's also very peppy. Like, like they don't quite fall into those easy slots that they could. And I, I agree with you guys that like the romance isn't particularly convincing, but I still think that all of them have a real sense of uh, of energy with each other that does make things like the the aforementioned like where they give a McDonald's order that stuff mm. works for me because I think that there's just a, such an acerbic uh, quality that's built with them. I mean, even looking like I, I think it's really fascinating how what four years have done according to the script to Ian Malcolm. Ian Malcolm is an entirely different person than the Jurassic Park. I mean, (laughs) the Jurassic Park character. Like, yeah, he's a little less sleazy. He's a little more mature. But it's also a sense of, like, here's what that lifestyle did to him. And, you know, he's still trying to figure out how to grow up, despite the fact that he has those, you know, Symbolic things in his life that should. But is that what you want from Ian Malcolm? Like, yes, yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, I don't. I don't want a rehash of Ian from Jurassic Park. That's that's. Go ahead, Bill. I, I think he's he definitely has to grow as a character, and I think you know just thinking about what he experienced in Jurassic Park where he didn't get to experience some of the other stuff that the other characters kind of go on his yeah, his experience for a while yeah but his experience is straight up horror story like he didn't get a lot of this like th- there's you know he gets the dino poop joke but other than that like he is is really roughed up throughout that movie right um and so sure. Like it seems like he basically has post-traumatic stress disorder and like the fact that he willingly goes back to this island is so much predicated on the fact that Sarah is there. Right. Like he it's just too bad that they have no chemistry that makes me think that they're in a relationship. Sure. Sure. I mean, that's that's kind of like the the way he talks about the island and the way he talks about all the the experience, like specifically like when when that guy like approaches him on the subway and is like you you're you're the you're the guy on tv right the dino guy yeah Yeah. i I, I believe you (laughs) and he's just like oh fuck like you know you can imagine yeah Yeah. (laughs) just imagine like what's what's been he looks a lot like bender from the breakfast club right like he's clearly styled (laughs) after bender Yes, yes. I actually thought that was Justin Bartha for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Go, go ahead, Brian. So, so I guess my issue is that, like, it's it's weird to take a tertiary or, like, yeah, a, a secondary character like Ian Malcolm and then bring him back as your main character and have him be so radically different. And I mm-hmm. don't I don't I don't know if my brain just evaporates this kind of stuff. I was almost certain that him meeting the kids and then meeting um, 
uh, Hammond's nephew, uh, Mr. Ludlow, um, were extra stuff that was in like a director's cut. Because like <laughs> I saw pictures huh. of that and and clips of it online, and I was like, that must not have been in the original version. Because <laughs> I feel as though I would remember that from the many many times I watched it as a kid. Um, and and so much to my shock, I'm like, oh wait, no, they're all there. Like this is happening. Like this is real. Mm-hmm. This is what's in this movie. And I just I just find it odd because I don't usually fully edit out two very important character building scenes like that in my brain um that's usually the stuff that sticks with me and i again i i at one point put subtitles on my tv to watch something while it was particularly noisy or whatever um and i've not taken them off and so every movie that i have watched on my tv since then i've had subtitles on for it and you will be shocked at the stuff that you miss in dialogue that you just glaze over um (laughs) and this movie i was just like he's talking to hammond and i'm just thinking to myself I have missed over 20 some years of character of watching this movie. So much character information <laughs> about Ian there's Malcolm. There's a lot of exposition. Again, I, the, I mean, I'm not going to pretend there's not. I watched it this time. And when the dude comes up to him on the subway, I was like, what is this? I, I legitimately Googled. <laughs> To see if this was one of those scenarios where, like, you can't watch the theatrical version of Miami Vice anymore. So I was like, maybe they just, like, swapped (laughs) Lost Worlds. And, like, Ludlow saying, like, you violated your non-disclosure agreement. And, you know, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. blah, blah, blah. And, and, like, uh, Hammond is talking to him, like, you know, Sarah Harding, like, went halfway across the world to uh, Costa Rica to talk to someone in a a hospital. And I was like... This has all been here all this time and I have no idea. And like, I think one of the problems is that like you are just like so amped to get to the island that like you don't, I don't anyway, care if that they need to justify everything that's happened in his life and all the reasons that he's now a more boring character because he has to be the protagonist instead mm-hmm. of the cool guy off to the side making observations. Sure. Wait, yeah. Boring. I, I sorry, I'm just curious. What do you mean by boring in this particular sense? The the fact that he has more of a stable life, or you genuinely just don't find him interesting? I just don't character? find the character that interesting in this movie. And like, I I think that the, I think part of that problem is like the Spielberg of it all. Like, oh well, you know, we have to make him a father, and he's got to have like a fraught relationship. And it's like the the the, the Ian Malcolm that I know, you know, from <laughs> Jurassic Park, who's who's drinking a flask. And flirting with uh, Ellie Sattler, four years and later, says, four and years says to her, <laughs> "I'm always looking for the next ex, Mrs. Malcolm." <laughs> yes, that's so good. It's just so weird to see him in this, being the way he is, but for some reason still wearing leather pants mm-hmm. and, and black. Yeah, <laughs> on an island. So yeah, I don't know. It was, it, and again, you know, this might be just my older analytical brain going nuts, but like, I just was watching the movie and. It bugged me. Uh, Bilga, you, you seemed like you were about to bite my head off, so I would love to go to what you were going to no, say. No, no, I, I mean, I don't mind a character's changing from from movie to movie. I mean, I, I find in some ways that's more realistic. And, you know, the film, no. I mean, the, when, when they talk about Sarah Harding traveling to Costa Rica to visit somebody in a hospital, I believe they're talking about her traveling to visit him, right? Like, I think that's how they met. Is that... Uh, yes, I think, I think so. Yes, I, I would so, have to watch which, which, it again with the subtitles on. I got the yeah. opinion that it was either him or like a hospital orderly. 
No, so so I'm I'm pretty it's sure I think it's him recovering from his wounds. It, yeah, very much so because yeah. I think uh, Richard Atten or uh, John John Hammond's character is basically saying that she would stop at nothing to basically make dig sure that he's up. okay. Well, no, but he, no, wait, no, because they didn't start on, dating on, until hold after. On, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna say all Sorry. this. She's a, she's a dinosaur, Stan. Yeah, she she's a dinosaur, <laughs> just like enthusiast, right? And so when she heard that there were people recovering from some kind of traumatic event, dealing with potentially dinosaurs, right? She rushed over to Costa Rica, and so that's yeah. and then that's how they met. And there and I, it is. I mean, that's that. That was why I think like it doesn't bother me. I mean, it doesn't bother me that they don't have chemistry because a lot of characters in Spielberg movies don't quite have chemistry. But, um, but, but also like I think that sort of establishes, which is that, you know, they're not together because she fell madly in love with him. They're together because she was fascinated by dinosaurs and wanted to pick his brain, and kind of things mm. happened. Um, and so that. You know, but but I mean, that's a fair point that there isn't a, a ton of chemistry between them. I, I'm not bothered by the fact that he's not kind of the same guy. I mean, one of the things that actually annoys me sometimes in sequels is that there is um, often a scene where the guy who does the funny thing in the first movie has to do the funny thing in the second movie. Like, like I keep thinking oh, yeah. of, um, you know, Michael Pena in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, where he has to do sure. the thing that he did in Ant-Man, which was great. And now he has to do it again. And everybody says it's great. And I'm like can't just do the same fucking thing again like change his character a little you know um but, I, yeah, but, but, but there is I, a there is a middle ground and I, i'm not sure the film this film is on the middle ground but this film kind of does the opposite where it just you know lets him quote unquote grow but unfortunately in in this this in the world of like spielberg approved blockbusters grow simply means you know you become monogamous and have a child right it is weird to me <laughs> though still that, be dysfunctional yeah <laughs> Still wear your leather jacket. Um, yeah. I, w- I will say, I just, I think that my issue is that it all happens off screen. It has to be yeah. info sure, dumped sure. at us so hard. I, um, I want to say that I got my phone out, um, and I pulled up Netflix and I pulled up the Lost World Jurassic Park, and I scrubbed through, and I, I have the subtitles on. And so John Hammond says to Malcolm, after you were injured in the park, she sought you out. Okay. And then she went all the way to that hospital in Costa Rica to ask someone who she didn't even know whether the rumors were true. See, I nailed it. Okay. I, yeah, I, no, I'm pr- no, no, you didn't. She found Malcolm and he was like, oh, my God, there were dinosaurs. And then I I'm pretty sure that he's saying that she went to get double confirmation. Right. But subtitles aren't always correct. OK, well, I'll just play it next to the microphone. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> okay. Well, I I'd like to make a. But okay, so we here's get the, Wait, wait. Here's the thing. I can I can turn this from crazy ass nitpicking <laughs> into an actual broad statement about this movie. I feel as though our confusion is endemic to this entire movie's attempt to give any kind of exposition towards character relationships and like personalities. There's there's definitely quite a bit of sort of narrative throat clearing happening in the first you know twenty thirty minutes. I mean even with the, the two kids from Jurassic Park showing up, yes. to, I, I mean in, especially if you look at them in the background of that scene, like you know they have the little introduction and they have their little you know conversation with Ian Malcolm and then and then he goes to talk to um, Arliss Howard I guess 
and they're like in the background <laughs> it, and carted it, away yeah it, like it really looks like the actors don't know what they're supposed to like okay well, go. right so and, we know, our characters have not been thought of in terms of what yeah. they might be doing with their lives now yeah. we were just supposed to be here to talk to jeff Goldman. Yeah. it's just it's just it's just to like check the box of like what happened to the game well here they are I mean, and that is, I believe, the last time we see those characters in the Jurassic Park universe. I am um, sure that they will come back yes. for Dominion, just like uh, Sam Neill. <laughs> yeah. I just, okay. the, the whole opening Chill. of this movie is is a, a gauntlet that Ian Malcolm has to go through to try to catch us up on who he is now. And I think that it doesn't work. And then I think going to the island, the, like, just there's so much character inconsistency. Like, Sarah Harding is like, supposedly like this wonderful uh nature observer she like you know studied predators in africa and she knows how to stay up upwind of people and then like the minute we see her she's like give me your camera i'm gonna go cuddle with this stegosaurus baby and then very next scene she's talking about how like they have to be as low impact as possible if they even bend a blade of grass but she's li- she literally just endangered the life of a, a stegosaurus to pet it, and then nearly got speared um, by the Thagomizer. For all you Far Side fans out there, um, and then and then and then later on in the movie, she is like trailing blood, and someone's like, Are "You okay?" And she's like, "Oh, it's totally cool. It's just the blood of the infant dinosaur that we know those parents yes. are just gaga about." Um, yeah. I'm gonna hang this up. In my tent. Also, I'm going to leave out a shit ton of food. And like, it's just, it's, I just kind of wish that like they, you know, you could talk all you want about like evolution of characters and interesting dynamics, but like consistency in a cliche to me is, is more valuable in a, in an action movie or a thriller than like nuance that doesn't actually follow through scene to scene. (laughs) Well, anyways, um, uh, I want to talk about AJ, um, Harvey Jason, who is the, I guess, right hand man to Roland Timbo, uh, beat post. Um, who the fuck, who the fuck is this guy? And why is he not a hunter? Because clearly he's not a hunter because no, because Pete postal fate like talks to him like he's an idiot throughout the entire movie but it's like his his like assistant yeah but like it seems like he's never hunted before because when they come upon the uh t-rex uh like encampment he's like we can't leave here we have to get this this kid because otherwise we will always be uh, uh, downwind or upwind or whatever from them from from the T-Rexes and now we have to kind of bring them to us otherwise we're always kind of playing and just the way that he's talking to him just makes it seem like he doesn't have any kind of previous knowledge of like hunting because if if AJ had been it's uh, AJ AJ had been with him like throughout right for the last presumably you know 10 20 years then he would know this shit right well, bill i'm just gonna give you a peek into my head canon i have always assumed that they were lovers um okay. when because there's a point where Pete possible says i'm in charge and when i'm not uh Dieter is mm-hmm. who is a uh, storm character 
And yeah. I'm like, oh, that's weird because I thought Ajay was his like second in command because they're always together, they're hanging out all the time. Mm-hmm. And it it and then you know he it fucking dozens of people have been brutally murdered, and he sure he's, has he's lost his taste for death because Ajay is gone. So and, it, it, and it's also a character that I mean, one does wonder if there was more with him because yeah. I mean, every time I watch this when. Postlethwaite says, you know, and he's like distraught. He's like, Ajay's dead. And I'm like, who's Ajay again? Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, he's the Gruber. What would, you know, he's the Gruber of this, uh, of this franchise, which is, you know, the character in Armageddon who has this like really elaborate emotional death scene. And everybody was like, Gruber, Gruber's dead. And like the entire audience goes, the fuck is Gruber? Um, <laughs> you know, like, like one of those characters that, the filmmakers clearly had some plan for this character's death to be uh, emotionally meaningful to the audience, and they just completely dropped the ball somehow. He does mm-hmm. get to say the immortal lines, not into the long grass. And and right. then and they all go. Every, to the <laughs> yeah, and, and including himself. So, yeah. Yep. I, I don't I don't know that at what point they're supposed to find shorter grass because I didn't see any. And I was just like, OK, so. So where is not the long grass? Because we're in the long grass. I don't grass know. Right go now. around or something. <laughs> I'm just I like, understand uh, it's like a wide Sargasso Sea, but for like there must be some part that's not completely overgrown. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't <clears throat> see it, and so yeah. I was just like, uh, okay, Ajay, like <laughs> lead me, lead me to to water here. And this and is a problem like, that I actually had in uh, Jurassic Park Three, where if you simplified these movies down. I think they'd be much more effective because Jurassic Park three is like, Oh, we're a, we're a wealthy couple and we just like to fly over the Island and, you know, special circumstances from the Costa Rican government. And then they get on the Island and it turns out that like they hire, they're like, not soap. They're like plumbing people. They have like a store. They have no money. Their kid is lost because she's divorced from the guy and her new boyfriend took the kid on a thing it's a and, little the, complicated. and their mercenaries <laughs> are like sort of like th- not the a team they are like the z team and everything sucks and then billy steals a raptor egg you know it's just like i just feel like you gotta you gotta and this is the same problem i had with a uh, f- foundation what am i talking about fallen kingdom, fallen kingdom. <laughs> oh yeah it's just there's so much and um as we were saying i think that it's there's just there's a simplicity to just like what if you want someone there are dinosaurs like that's story enough you don't need all this other stuff <laughs> I, I, sure. I think that's I, I think that's fair but I, I do want to get a little bit more I, I think you are getting into something uh, if we want to you know reduce it a little bit more we're talking about the dissonance between the Ludlow story and you know Ian Malcolm and his crew I, I, and I think you can. I think in a way it's interesting you mentioned that exact scene, Brian, because I felt there was a very strange editing decision there. So uh, the moment where Roland Tambo, um, where you first hear the sound of the snoring dinosaur, then it cuts to them in the helicopter in a very like final scene, as you're putting up, Brian, and then he drops the the shotgun bullets in an unnecessary underlining of that <laughs> of that thing but then they go 
then they cut again to uh, Roland and Peter and, you know, Roland leaving. And that whole thing was was very strange to me. And and again, I don't know to, to suggest whether it's m- missing some connective tissue or, you know, if this would have worked better and extended. But I do think I... I I agree with you to an extent that there there's a lot of characters that need to be kept track of, but I don't think once you get past that initial exposition that um, I don't find this to be that convoluted in terms of its plot beats. Like it's interesting. You mentioned Jurassic world is something that really worked for you because Jurassic world, I think is a film that's extremely convoluted in, in the character decisions they're making. And like some of the things, you know, I, I, I'm saying pedantic only because they're getting very specific. I don't mean to dismiss your, what you're saying, but rather like, it's just fascinating to me that you're, nitpicking some of this stuff but then something like jurassic world um you know you didn't really have those well i i think that in my in my defense i could handily sum up the plot of jurassic world as two boys become lost on the island after everything goes wrong and numerous people attempt to help to get them back safely like there's other stuff in there obviously like you know you could talk about like Remember, there's a lot of other stuff. You in remember there. the fact that uh, yeah. that uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is in that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Remember how Irfan Khan is in that movie? Yeah, but what I'm saying is that there is a strong central story to follow through, and that those boys are, in fact, up until the final scenes, a strong part of this movie. Like it's always struck me as weird that, and I, you know, maybe because uh, maybe maybe Bill could back me up on this. It struck me as weird that like. Malcolm and Sarah Harding come back to San Diego, but Nick Van Owen, who is Earth First is Greenpeace yes. uh, eco terrorist, is like, I'm fi- I'm done. I just can't. I called the chopper uh, guys. Like, yeah, that's that's weird. He should I'm be there, you, being like, uh, go ahead. He has, exper- he has experienced time. romantic defeat. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he has given in to, he, to Ian Malcolm's whims. He has he. He shot his shot, and he, and he and he missed. It was all cut out of the movie, and <laughs> and he has been discarded. So there's like um, a 17 minute long scene, like Manchester by the Sea style, where Sarah Harding <laughs> is like, "Come help us get this T Rex," and he's like, "I can't, I just can't," and she's like, "You can't even just come help me get a T Rex," and he <laughs> says no and looks away because he's just so upset. I would watch that. I what, do. What you should say there is, "What about your Pulitzer?" um i'm looking through my tabs because i had something to say and now i just i found this one so very quickly bill there is in fact a dog youtube channel it is specifically for dogs when you leave them alone i don't think it's any good i read somewhere and i have had trouble finding it that the san diego (laughs) san diego (laughs) um aspect of this story was decided two months before production began um, that it was kind I'd of buy, a, buy that. that was kind of a late yeah. addition that Spielberg put into it. And there are things in this movie that I feel like Spielberg at a certain point was like, this movie's going to make money. I can get a little weird with it. I can do things in this movie that I probably won't be able to do. Like no one's ever going to hand Spielberg, like the keys to the Godzilla kingdom. Which sounds like they a should. great place to visit. They're, um, and they, they probably should, but he, he was not, able to, they're not, they totally would. 
I don't know. I feel, yeah, I feel actually like, well, that's the weird thing is like he puts this in here and it's like clearly he's enjoying this like King Kong Godzilla style thing. They, they, they kind of did <clears throat> with uh, Ready, Ready Player, Player One. Because I think, I think Godzilla is in that. I think a yeah, Mecha Godzilla. There is, is a yeah. Godzilla. And, I mean, there are many things in Ready Player One. <laughs> there is a <laughs> Mecha Godzilla. Them, there is a, a King Kong. <laughs> and there is a. IP. Yes. <laughs> did you say there was a Pete Postlethwaite? <laughs> But right. so yeah, I, I think it's right. I think it's interesting that like that that might be a thing because that might explain one of the reasons why everything on the island feels so compressed. Like I do believe that if there were more time for the island stuff to breathe, that uh, that I don't know if like all my issues would be done with this. But it it makes the ending of this movie, and this might just be me, makes everything on the island feel perfunctory and like cursory. And the fact that again like just that we're missing nick van owen is is very weird and the fact that ian malcolm and sarah harding come back to america and just are like down for another fight i just like what is the story of their like trip back like were they given power bars and monster it's just it it it, <laughs> it makes their <laughs> okay okay i'm not i'm not sure i agree with that <laughs> i just I, it, like, what i'm saying is i want to see is the details of their journey back right? peanuts I mean... seltzer um no it's just it it just does make it 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 ends the movie in a weird place because you for so long are like this island get off this island these creatures on this island and then suddenly it's like oh shit one of them is in san diego oh wait there's actually two here and really this movie is is taken and taken too with a t-rex as liam neeson's character what but okay. it's just like like the the, 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 the strongest the strongest through line in this movie is i think as as bilga said like that the 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 dinosaurs are better parents that you know this t-rex goes and and destroys this trailer to get his baby back and then the baby's taken away again and then he is also like brought drugged to a strange new land and now he once again has to find his baby like the only person who has a consistent level of motivation for all actions is the T-Rex. Well, yeah, I mean, but that's, I mean, I mean, that was kind of my point in my piece. But uh, you yeah. know, I, I will nitpick this, which is that you know Liam Neeson isn't necessarily a great dad in Taken. Like he has, uh, he's also been neglectful. So, <laughs> oh yeah, so he doesn't know anything. He's more of an stuff. Ian Malcolm type. Um, but uh, <laughs> but sorry i i just rewatched those movies again so i have to nitpick that but that was an um, interesting life choice that you made no i had to i did this whole essay on liam neeson uh so i had to rewatch like his his all his all his oh, work. The, um, yes yes okay um, wonderful that makes last more night, sense. by the way Bilga. thank you um but i i think you're right and and there is i mean it makes perfect sense that the san diego scenes were shot you know in a bit of a rush because they do feel rushed and there's a lot in there that i like and it's clear that I mean, I don't know if Spielberg's ever talked about King Kong, but I assume Steven Spielberg is a big fan of King Kong. It's impossible that he wouldn't be. But that does seem like his chance to kind of do like the big King Kong finale. Um, and and yeah, I mean, there are, there are like there are weird things missing. Certain things happen way too quickly. There's, you know, like the, the, the dinosaurs, ramp, the dinosaur rampages through suburbia, but it takes mm-hmm. like half a minute and it's done and i'm kind of like oh because like it's like i I get psyched every time i watch it i'm like i get psyched for 
oh yeah, this is like Spielberg brings a dinosaur into suburbia, which is like Spielberg territory. And now it's going to like, you know, rough shit up. And then like a minute <laughs> later it's over. And it's like, there's even like, it feels like there are like shots missing when they finally do get the, the, the T-Rex back onto the boat because I'm always surprised yes. to discover, Oh wait, they're on the boat. That door's closing. That's, that's where they were. Like, I'm always surprised. I do well, feel yeah, like it's stuff there that's been rushed. I mean, Spielberg is fantastic. It, it, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Michael, cause you're going to hate me for this. Like Christopher Nolan, um, and Christopher Nolan clearly learned this from Spielberg, obviously. Like, if you know how to edit, if you know how to cut, if you know how to paste, you can cover up cinema sins in your movie. So, like... I, I really hate that you said cinema sins, but I'm with you I did so air quotes. <laughs> I did air quotes, and I tried okay. to do them verbally. Okay. But, like... You, you but, can say air quotes. Air quote, cinema sin, air quote. So, like, what I'm talking about is, and this is a thing, uh, my friend Dan Gvazdan talks about this whenever he's teaching a film class. In Jurassic Park, right, the T-Rex steps out of a hole in the fence easily and then knocks a, uh, and then knocks the car through that same hole. And suddenly it's like a 50 foot drop into a tree. (laughs) And, and Grant has to, like, you know, move down and there's like a water spout. And he's got the he's got Lex on his back. And you just never think about the fact that, like, how did the T-Rex step out of that (laughs) paddock if that's what we're dealing with? And it doesn't make any sense, but you don't care because it works. And I I feel like in this movie, it's harder to do that because, like, Ian Malcolm and Sarah Harding leap off the side of the venture into San Diego Harbor and then. Uh, Ludlow comes in and is doing his like whole like I'm gonna catch this dinosaur like it's a baby bird in my kitchen and then yeah, that's a real dumb scene <laughs> constantly just saying wait as though like if he just if he just talks the dinosaur into waiting for five seconds he'll be okay um, I do I do love like the look that transpires between Papa and baby dino um, yeah <laughs> Because like Great. the baby is like, oh, this one's for me, and, and his dad's all like, yep, this is your, this is yours, and then the baby jumps on, and then the dinosaur looks so proud. Yeah. And as a father who has watched my daughter move from uh, not being able to lift her head up to putting on her own shoes, I understand that pride. Um, it's, it's a movie about parenting. I, actually, yeah. Now that I've said that, this movie is five stars, and I love it. Um, but like so they jump off the side of the boat and then you they they both come up because like she has to shoot the dinosaur with the gun and then Ian Malcolm has to hit the button to close the cargo hold and they're just wet but like I don't know how they got back up onto shore let alone onto the boat if if their plan was to shoot and and close the thing why did they jump off the boat to begin with and like Spielberg doesn't usually let me make those questions happen, but it's not difficult not to. Is what you're saying? Yeah, I I really think that there's like mm. a compression that's happening here that's that's causing a lot of these issues for me. Um, and maybe I'm yeah. only realizing it now as we speak about it. And as as a as a person who likes it, says you know I feel like there's something missing. I feel like you know maybe there was something happening. And I go in my head then, oh, like it's interesting to think about it that way. Because in my brain, I'm just like, I don't know, it's a poorly made movie. But you as a person who liked it actually are like thinking what might have happened that made those small deficiencies that I see. Well, because, I mean, when you have a a director who is otherwise 
in such you know sharp control of everything that's happening yeah. when there is something that that jumps out like a, a flaw like that you, you you think to yourself well something happened there like that's not that's not a you know his his personal um quality control filter wouldn't ordinarily let something like that through unless you know he just didn't have a choice or you know. um but uh I mean, but but at the same time i still enjoy all that. that's the thing it's like i enjoy sure. it I enjoyed so much that when it's over, I'm kind of like, ah, yeah, well, that, that was kind of getting ready for more dinosaurs rampaging through suburbia. So it doesn't, <laughs> you know, so it doesn't jump out as a flaw. It jumps out more as, oh, I would have liked to have seen more of that, um, as opposed to something went wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, can I, can I give a good piece of trivia that I just found guys, Steven Spielberg originally approached Juliette Benochet about, uh, playing the role of Sarah Harding. She supposedly replied that she would appear in the movie only if she could play the dinosaur. <laughs> oh, I have heard that before. And, and I don't, we, and isn't she in Godzilla? She's in Godzilla. Yeah. She, she yes. dies in the beginning. So she learned her lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Her, her, she she had a conversation with her financial advisor. <laughs> She's in that movie for like 10 minutes. That's too. the thing, though, is if she had been Sarah Harding, she would have had to do a whole bunch of jumping and stuff. And in Godzilla, it's like all you have to do is say goodbye to your kids and then die in a nuclear reactor. <laughs> we can have a bottle dub, bo- a bottle double, a body double do the running scenes because you will be in a radiation suit. There are four shots of your face. We need you for those. Seven hundred thousand dollars. I think the last thing I do, I here I'll be pedantic about one thing. Uh, how did the dinosaurs kill, or how did the T Rex uh, kill everyone on board and then? Oh, get oh, Michael. <laughs> Those are copies, right? No. So here's the thing. Um, the so if you like me uh, saw this movie at a young enough age. You will know that the question of what happened on the uh, the SS Venture, um, speaking of King Kong, uh, that is a clear tip of the hat, has been a sure. subject of debate amongst idiots and nerds <laughs> like myself for as long as this movie has existed. Oh, no. Because... <laughs> what was that? No, keep going. Well, so <laughs> when I was a child... The the assumption was, oh, well, clearly there must have been velociraptors that took over this boat or something, you know? Um, and then as time has gone on, crazier theories have appeared, such as I, I went looking for this online because I wanted to see if, like, the writer or Spielberg had ever uh-huh. given, like, an actual answer. And I found a guy online who wrote, like, a thousand words explaining why he thinks <laughs> that John Hammond <laughs> hired a group of mercenaries. <laughs> to kill everyone on that boat and then and make leave it, it look like a dinosaur yeah i guess so um <laughs> i'm literally watching i was literally reading it it was something like you know then who's okay. like you know uh, yeah, everyone thought it was velociraptors but there's no proof of that in the movie you know and looking at the evidence like blah 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 and who's the one man with the resources and the motive and then there's a picture of john hammond <laughs> and i was like this is better than the flat earth theory um, this is this is like uh, you you brought up Nolan earlier. Uh, you know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a you guys might know I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan, but uh, yep. Dark, Dark Knight Rises. You know, when when Bruce Wayne gets out of the pit, uh, and then uh, you know, next scene he's back in Gotham. Like, part of me wants to see that entire like 
Bourne movie that happens between <laughs> him getting out of the pit and whether it's like India or China, somehow with like nothing on him and somehow making his way back to Gotham through a variety of creative methods, including like hijacking different people's cars and stuff like that. Um, a limited Fox TV series that is just... Do it. Do it. It's like 24 and it can run for like six seasons because I assume it took six days for him to get back to Gotham. I say do it. Yeah, I'm down um, for it. I'll write it with you if you want to make it happen. Hey, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, you know, obligatory opening uh, first first episode uh, going over what happened to Bruce Wayne's parents. Yes. <laughs> because, uh, but um. When his parents get shot, sand comes out of their wounds instead of blood, and then he wakes up in the desert. That's cool. right. <laughs> You're welcome, uh, Hollywood. It's just Batman vs. Superman. I didn't say I there was a giant mutant bat. I will say, I will say with the boat, though, I, I actually really love the fact that it's this like Nosferatu, like, you know, phantom boat where everybody <laughs> not, died, but the, like, the I'm not hands. bothered by the fact that that's not explained. Like, I like that kind of uncertainty. And, you know, part of me is like, well, you know, there's, there is that hand on the button. Maybe, like, the last <laughs> thing that person managed to do was actually get the dinosaur in before. That is legitimately what I found to be the most logical thing that happened. So, so apparently the T-Rex was initially housed in that cage that was in the jungle on the top of the boat. Right. And then because there's the point where the dude is saying like, um, what was it like? Oh, you know, we gave him like some he hit him with like four, ten milligrams of whatever. And then she's like, oh, my God, he should be in a coma. And then the guy's like, he stopped breathing. So we gave him another thing of like Nexalopram. And then she's like, well, that's crazy. He put him in a, in a narcoleptic state. He's a locomotive now. And what is what is said to have most likely occurred with all evidence in the movie and discounting John Hammond shenanigans or velociraptors or compies is that upon giving the dinosaur the medicine to restart its heart um, or breathing or whatever, it ripped out of its steel cage, murdered everyone but one dude who was mortally wounded and his dying thing, because again, his hand was on the button, was to hit the button to close the thing. And then the dinosaur didn't, I don't know, decide to hit his head against the top until the boat crashed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, look, it, it is a movie in which they brought dinosaurs back. So a little bit of uh, suspension of disbelief is OK. <laughs> Yes, but I don't see Mr. DNA jumping across my screen explaining how everyone on that boat died. <laughs> Okay, um, there's a here. Brian will will like this. Maybe Yay. maybe this will be our final little tirade. Um, anyways, so I've got forty minutes uh, on Janusz Kaminski to get through. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> anyways, um, so Sarah Harding at one point mentions that um, this is conclusive proof that dinosaurs are like you know nurturing and all of this stuff based on her findings on this island and you know i was i was sitting there yelling not yelling but like telling my fiance like that's a bunch of bullshit like she can't conclusively prove that dinosaurs are nurturing because these dinosaurs are a 
man-made and be based off of like completed from frog DNA. Also, they're not in their natural habitat. They're in a island that they, you know, have no familiarity with as far as like the foliage and all of this stuff. So like just it well, just doesn't make any scientific like sense that she would say anything like that. Like what is interesting, oh, this is conclusive Bill, proof about like, what you no, just said not. is that that is a concept that is visited in Jurassic Park three and Jurassic World and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Like, like Sam Neill's character, Doctor Alan Grant, in the third movie says, "Those are not dinosaurs; those are genetic monsters." Mm-hmm. And then Wu in the this the this the first they world bred, movie they bred out the uh, the feathers right yeah. he's like you know the dinosaurs as they actually looked would be like unrecognizable like we've changed these things to fit popular conceptions which is just a nice bit of retconning um, and then he also mm-hmm. says like so why wouldn't we make a fucking chameleon with the intelligence of like I don't know who's a famous chess player oh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah Gary I- Kasparov. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Bobby Fischer, that'll work too. Yeah. Also does a disappearing act. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that is the thing that has come been come back to. Mm-hmm. Michael Snydell, you tweeted about Janusz Kaminski shooting this movie. Do you oh, have any no. thoughts there? I did, like, I'm not going to say anything. We all know my thoughts on Janusz. So I'm just curious. Michael, did you have like a wait, thing to bring? Wait, wait, wait. I don't know your thoughts on Janusz. I don't tend to like Janusz Kaminski. <laughs> I am. Um, I don't like pools of light. I don't like the blinding angelic milky discharge coming through everyone's windows. Oh, no, <laughs> but, he, but he doesn't do that. But he doesn't do it that much in this one, it, which is true. In fact, I I only really felt the Yanush of it all in the scene. <laughs> what is your problem, Michael? It's Excuse his me. name. Sorry, I, I know. I know. <laughs> oh my god. Um. I only really felt it in John Hammond's uh, in John Hammond's lounge, his convalescence yeah. room. Oh, yeah, um, I that's the it. only place where the, the the windows really came through. Because otherwise, I, if you had asked me who lensed this, I would not have been able to uh, to guess that it was Yanush. Well, I believe I believe Spielberg wanted um, was Dean Cundy uh, who, who who did the yeah, first Cundy did Jurassic Park. Yeah, Jurassic. and I think Spielberg wanted Cundy and, and couldn't. Um, and, you know, I believe he had, I don't know, was this the first, uh, Kaminsky film for Spielberg? I'm trying to figure that out. I I mean, I know, I know Kaminsky did, uh, Schindler's List, um, but I don't think he did Hook, did he? I'm looking right now. Um, yeah, it looks like, he looks like, uh, Lost World Jurassic Park, Jerry Maguire, How to Make an American Quilt. Tall Tale, Little Giants, Schindler's List. Yeah, Cundy. Uh, Cundy actually did uh, Hook. Cundy did Hook. And, and Alan Davio does a couple of them too, right? So, um, yeah. I think, um, I mean, the Kaminsky, you know, I, I like I like a lot of the Kaminsky films. I, I, I agree. There is a, a point at which it becomes a little too. I don't mind the pools of light. I actually love the pools of light. I'm not crazy about, uh, you know, blasting every window with angelic light which has the effect of turning everything into a metaphor which is ridiculous um <laughs> you know like like that that's one of the things i don't like about ai um is oh okay. you know, cinematography has this it's just it, 
I feel like I'm in a hermetically sealed room throughout the movie. And, and I shouldn't, like, I feel like it works really well at the end. Um, but, uh, but it doesn't quite develop towards that. It's just kind of like that the whole time. Do you like uh, his work in minority report? Bilga? I love minority report. I mean, it's not a film I think of as, you know, I mean, I, I can't remember if I have strong feelings about, um, the cinematography, but I mean, for me, minority report and, uh, catch me if you can are two underrated Spielberg masterpieces. Like those two films, I think are, are, you know, top five Spielberg for me. Oh, I would, and, I uh, have, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And then I mean, I, I just love catch me if you can. I just think that's such a great, great, every time I watch it, just like this movie really, really needs to be better appreciated. That um, movie, and, and that, and that I, is, I, that is a movie that rips in, and, and, is just breezy and awesome in the way that I feel like this movie is a little halt starty, not as, ah, which is crazy because there's so much more exposition that you have to get through and catch me if you can, because you literally have to adapt to how this guy is pulling all these cons. I mean, the structure in catch me if you can is like, I think it's deceptively simple. Mm. Um, given like, especially, I, I mean, we talked on our own film stage episode with, uh, Neil about but wait, yeah. But her, uh, about um, about how we thought, it, you know, it seems like another movie would have ended it much earlier when he's mm-hmm. caught and they continue it significantly longer, which I, I think is is just a is a really masterful touch, well, I, well, I mean, in my and, opinion. Yeah. And, 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 and I mean, I, I have this whole theory, as you as you guys know, if you've read my uh, Lost World piece, you know, about like Spielberg's journey as a filmmaker and as a person and how, you know, first part of his career is very much him making films from the point of view of a child. And second half is about him making films from the point of view of a parent. And I feel like catch me if you sure. can, it's actually the movie where the new Spielberg faces the, the, the old Spielberg and they kind of have this battle of wills and, and, and that, that final section where, you know, Tom Hanks basically becomes the parent that Leonardo DiCaprio never got to have is, is just amazing. Yeah, oh, man. I, you yeah. know, ever since ever since you said the words "catch me if you can," I have had the <laughs> score playing in my head. Like I just have that little do 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 do. I just want to watch it again now. <laughs> let's just do yeah. it. Do it on the pod, <laughs> Brian. You were lower on it on this last rewatch. I was I, a little I, bit, but it's still like it's still a breezy I, I good went time movie. Way higher on it. Like I thought it was a good movie, and I thought it was. Wait, was I low on it or was I just questioning whether it would get made now? Uh, well, both. I mean, okay. I think both of those are very different questions. Okay, you, you were asking me about Janish. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it back real quick to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I I like Janish. I, I know what you guys are talking about in terms of the angelic light. But I, I do think it's interesting you're talking about, uh, you know, Hammond's house. And the exact sequence you guys were talking about with um, Lex and and Tim, I really like how that's shot. It's shot in almost reverse of what you expect so that it's the silhouette of Peter and then uh, Goldblum. And it's it's like almost in the corner of the room. Like it's, it's really almost an awkward setup and you're seeing, you know, Lex and Tim taken off. And yeah, I guess you could interpret that as like, oh, the movie doesn't even know what they want to do. But I like it as like that it's it's so businesslike in that entire place, despite like Hammond's, 
you know, ostensible warmth that they would literally just be taken out the door during like this business conversation about NDAs. Like to me, I thought that worked really well. And then once we get to the lost world, I, I, I think Janice, uh, sorry, Janice, I, you said it once and now I can't say it. Janice? Again. Um, Janusz, apologies. Uh, Janusz, his work on the the actual island, though, I think is uh, kind of unobtrusive uh, for him. It's 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 just interesting, and and I think Kundi is, um, you know, he he does like a lot of these. Um, you know, there is there is like a, a more palpable warmth. There is more of like, you know, he's a much more direct cinematographer to me where, you know, Janusz is, is more stylized. But I, I, I brought that up because I just think, um, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's interesting the ways this, this film does feel more metallic, like outside of Janusz's, uh, feelings like i like how peter ludlow like we haven't talked at all about his equipment like i love these trucks with these extending seats and uh Mm. the way that everybody has nets and these like tranquilizer guns that nonetheless look like you know just these metallic uh like they're just so unwieldy like and i think all of that stuff works really well in in bringing across like um sorry the the themes of um you know of of like corporations just not at all getting it <laughs> well yeah like, and they're, they're very it's very militaristic and, and cold and yes. dark which is very different from jurassic park i mean in jurassic park even the like the guns those guys have at the open yes. scene of jurassic they're like oversized that they feel like action figure guns like and, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. the whole movie is you know, the whole movie is kind of steeped in this like colorful branded lunchbox iconography um literally exit through the gift shop scene right yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, and, and lost world i mean that first of all the opening scene of lost world is so dark like visually yes. such a dark like ominous clouds and it tells you immediately you're like this is a different movie um and i do think i mean i think Janusz does a, Janusz, we're talking about him like we know him. Uh, I think Kaminsky does a nice job of kind of taking the Kundi aesthetic and and pushing it and making it darker. And, and, you know, it doesn't feel like a Kaminsky movie, but it doesn't feel like the old Spielberg either. It does feel yeah. like we've entered this new territory. Um, and I, I mean, I generally like visual, visually, I like this movie more than Jurassic Park, even though uh, you're right. You know, you pointed out the effects. They do feel a little more CGI this time. I think it's because, you know, ironically enough, I think it's because the VFX technology had developed so much. between yep. Jurassic. Yeah. This time they were like, well, we can actually do these much more realistic dinosaurs, which is always uh, is always the kiss of death with with visual effects uh, yeah. when mm-hmm. you go through state of the art. Mm-hmm. Um to quote well, yeah, Jurassic Park itself, you were so obsessed with whether or not you could. Right, right. Sure. Know if you could. Sure. I want. I, yeah. Yeah. I th- talking about the way this movie starts. I'd love to spend seventy-eight minutes talking about this British family on this beach. <laughs> Real assholes, all of them. The 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 father and the mother do not have a good marriage. That child probably should have died so much earlier, based on the amount of neglect. And um, also, they get served some really nice looking food. 
sandwiches. <laughs> so, so uh, I do want to bring up something interesting. You, you know, you talking about the the weaponry. Um, the Lost World book goes into like extensive detail of like all the the technology that you know if you were going to build a you know a high high blind or uh, I'm sorry, Bill, it's stuff. a high hide. Hide, hide, hide. Eddie hide. died uh, screaming the words <laughs> high, hide. If, if you were going to build a high, hide, and you were going to build like uh, even the RV and stuff like that, um, how much tensile strength you would need and the steel. And like they just go through like all of this ridiculous like technology that Crichton kind of came up with. Crichton. To- Crichton. Crichton. Every time we I, talk about Michael I, Crichton, you call him Crichton, and it drives me crazy. Crichton. <laughs> Michael Crichton. Um, well, it's funny because I always call him Crichton, and then I get on this podcast, and for some reason, I call him Crichton. Anyways, <laughs> uh, Stephen King. <laughs> Stephen King. Um, anyways. Oh, damn it. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it's interesting as well because you mentioned like the the guns in the first film, which is uh, I always found fascinating because in the books they uh, when the dinosaurs start to kind of take over the park, they reach for some weaponry and what they end up with are rocket launchers and and someone I think in the book is like. Why do you have rocket launchers? And they're like, because uh, we're shooting at dinosaurs. Like, <laughs> like we don't need machine guns. Like, are you a fucking moron? Like, these things are huge. So, yes, rocket launchers. That's what Clearly we Clearly, I need to read these books again. <laughs> yeah, uh, they definitely have rocket launchers in the books. I know so, they had them in the Sega more... Genesis video game. Mm, is yeah, this more, yes. is Crichton more along the pulp line or more like the Clancy line in in terms of like is it real tech heavy oh or it is, is it yeah he, like adventure Clancy, Clancy and Crichton like basically are like the godfathers of the techno thriller yes which is okay. like was only thing I read between second and like I don't know eighth grade yeah, I definitely read some Rainbow Six and and yeah, uh, yeah some definitely some Jurassic Park where and, it's like very heavily influenced by real science or like real items, and they go into a lot of detail because they know that for like young kids and forty year old men that is like porn, and um and yeah, it's I, it's, I really hate that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> you just you're, you're reading about you're like. Just a lot of words that shouldn't be in the same sentence. <laughs> I'm trying to move us past it so we can forget that I said it. Um, but like, but like, you know, it'll be like the Barrett 50 caliber, you know, sniper rifle fires a single like half pound round of like depleted uranium spinning at whatever angular trajectory. Like, and it just like, you're just like, yes, now tell me what it does to a man's skull. <laughs> That's like what a tech... <laughs> I so I, I killed yes. Bill. Because <laughs> um, that's what no, it no, is. Like, Those books start with that, and then well, it says that's like instant recall of all that bullshit right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it it does something like that, and it, it it'll be happening in the middle of an action scene. It'll like slow down and be like, now to understand why the terrorist's chest explodes, you're really gonna want to know about the grain. Of the powder used in the shell casing for this. 
Mm-hmm. And so then that's yeah. in in it, it, Jurassic like a like a like a Michael Mann director's commentary is what you're <laughs> Yes, exactly. Just a, so, a dude from Chicago walking up and being like, "Now the reason here that they're using these particular guns is in Jurassic Park like the novel." Like <laughs> I think in, it sounds like whatever Colin Farrell sounded like in Widows. <laughs> I, no, I'm offended. I'm very offended. <laughs> Uh, in the in the Jurassic Park book, I think each chapter begins with like a little excerpt of uh, Ian Malcolm's like chaos theory, and so it's just like a little diatribe of like what is chaos theory, like why why is this a thing, like what what are its you know ins and outs and all of this stuff. So like yeah, that's that's what's interlaced throughout all of Jurassic Park as the book. So you can just imagine, just kind of extrapolate from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes, uh, I actually, I think that I might actually like go buy the ebook of Jurassic Park and start. No, reading I, it I, I definitely just did that. I, I, I had the paperbacks, but I don't know where the oh fuck they are. <laughs> yeah, I bought them on 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 Kindle. I bought the first and second. It's interesting that this conversation. Possible. It's interesting that this conversation made you guys want to. Uh, read those or reread those books because uh it did the opposite to me (laughs) (laughs) but that's the thing is like i haven't read them in like i don't know 20-ish years so now i'm like i want to go back and like see what that's like which is again why i'll get the ebook because it's i don't know it's it's it doesn't really exist to me (laughs) yeah i mean i read the um i read uh, i didn't read these books but uh with Crichton, i did read I wasn't a big techno thriller fan, but but you know, in the '90s when Crichton really hit it, in part because of Jurassic Park, um, I did read a few of his books, and I enjoy like you know, I, I really enjoyed Sphere when I read it, and the uh, Rise. I mean, these things did not result in good movies, but uh, yeah, how like, dare Sphere you? Sphere is amazing. <laughs> Samuel oh, no, Jackson that, staring at. Samuel Jackson staring at Liev Schreiber and then saying, you afraid to die, Norman? (laughs) Oh, boy. Perfect. Uh, Bilga, is is sphere not uh, something you have a contrarian soft spot for? (laughs) I mean, not that I... Maybe maybe I'll rewatch it and see, but uh, (laughs) I I, I do not remember liking sphere at all. And I remember being really um, really disappointed uh, in, in the film and having really enjoyed the novel and um, I mean, Congo, what's, 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 what's the uh, wow. current verdict on generational verdict on Congo? Cause I remember that movie was not very good. I'm pretty sure that that's turned into so bad. It's good territory. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That movie's scary as fuck. Those, those apes are, uh, are wild. Did I bring up Delroy Lindo in that movie when we were talking about the five bloods? Oh. I forgot he was in that. Hell yeah. He gets to yell at Tim Curry to stop eating his sesame cake. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell Roy Lindo and everything. But Yeah, I, I love the sequence in that film where they set up the uh, perimeter with uh, like the turrets or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, that uh, I think it, it ends up at some point it spins all of its rounds and they're like, what? <laughs> the movie Anyways. is terrible. Yeah. How did we get here? We're talking <sighs> about Michael Crichton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crichton? Crichton. Damn it. Don't now do you know this what it to feels me. like, Bill. Um, 
Yeah, no, I when I was a kid, I was way into like Eric L. Harry, uh, Tom Clancy, Michael Crichton. And then I got a little more pulpy, weirdly, as I grew up. I was like, look, I don't need the science. I just need like a badass action hero murders people. And that's when I got into the books of Vince Flynn. Are those ah. less aggressively fascist than uh, Clancy or? <laughs> Is Cl- I, okay, so here's the thing. I haven't read <laughs> Clancy in for, uh, forever and I don't know how fascist they are. Because he's... They're pretty fascist. <laughs> yeah. I, On the scale of fascism. <laughs> I guess. Like, I just, because like the Hunt for Red October was just like, and and um, Patriot Games, I remember being like pretty politically not shocking i do think that when you get up to like the bear and the dragon where for some reason jack ryan is fucking president of the united states yeah because 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 the uh the terrorists nuked uh the state of the union speech right isn't that what happens i think that's what happened in like the previous book yeah right yeah um Um, there has to be a podcast out there somewhere where i can listen to people talk about the jack ryan books right (laughs) i don't want to read them but i'd love to hear other people talk about them (laughs) I mean, it, it might not be a podcast you actually want to listen to. <laughs> That's the thing. It would, they would have to come at it from a spirit of not like being in love with Jack Ryan. Though I will say that I did enjoy at least the first season of Jack Ryan on Amazon. Is that the Krasinski one? Yeah. I Krasinski stayed far is, away from is that. a weirdly competent action hero. What I was going to say not. is the, the Mitch Rapp ones are a lot. Mitch Rapp. Uh, the hero created by Vince Flynn, who was portrayed by Logan Lerman playing opposite Michael Keaton in the movie American Assassin, American which Assassin? I did not see, uh. <laughs> but somehow know all of that information about. Um, I really liked him because he's yeah. he's definitely one of those heroes who's like, I don't have an agenda. I don't have anything. I just know what's got to be done. And I like that as opposed to like, we have to defend like, you know, Christian white conservative ideals. Nitrap was uh, just a man who knew what needed to happen. He died. Vince Flynn, young man. Anyway, uh, I need to eat something, and I feel like we might. <laughs> I would love to have Bill go back just to talk about the techno thrillers that we used to read. <laughs> If you guys ever do a, if you guys ever do like a Grisham legal thriller thing, I'm oh, totally there. Man. I will do the client with you in a heartbeat. Oh yeah, I'm a fan of Runaway Jury, which is one of those like mid oh, middle brow, no. but like surprisingly pretty good. I've, I, you know, I've, I've, you know that 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 whole thing of people, you know, going back to their comfort food media uh, during. Um, during quarantine, I've, I've gone through several waves of that with different subgenres, but mm. I'm currently on a, a tr- you know courtroom drama, courtroom thriller kick, and and really uh, those just hit the spot when you really need them to. That reminds me that I, th- this kind of doubles up on that because I went through a mammoth kick, and right. then I I still need to see the verdict. I just rewatched the verdict last week, and it's 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 great. It's oh. really good. Is that Lou Matt? Yeah, the, the verdict. Yeah, okay. We met based on his, or off a of script by Mamet. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I just Paul Newman, Charlotte Rampling. It's just, it's, it's really great. <sighs> yeah, it sounds amazing. Anyone else have any final thoughts on the Lost World Jurassic Park before we, before we wrap up here? 
Sounds like a big I, old I, no. I like this movie. I, I really do. I, I really enjoyed this rewatch, honestly. Um, it is bananas to And me. I would say this is the second best uh, Jurassic Park movie uh, pretty easily. <laughs> I, I would ask us to all go through and do a full ranking, but that sounds no, legitimately no, exhausting. <laughs> so, uh, gentlemen, I put it to you that when you tweet out this episode, once it posts, if you could just tweet your ranking there, that will be good enough. I, no, no, no more rankings yes. on Twitter. No, no, we have to, we have to reignite the war. <laughs> as long as it's not the Cohen brothers for once, that that uh, that's the the one that comes up the most with What's ranking. What's uh, what, what, you, you notice how like people like looking for clout have been asking really dumb questions on Twitter, but everyone answers because we have nothing better to do. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Are, are <laughs> they looking for? Are they looking for clout or are they looking for like passwords? Uh, so that's the funny thing is like, oh, what's the name of your first pet? Uh, yeah, no, I'm thinking about the ones that are more specific, like, what's the movie that makes you think of sunsets? And then it's got like four <laughs> billion retweets and everyone's like, before sunset. Before sunset. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone's like, ironically, sunshine. Anyway, um, <laughs> we got to do one of those for this and I have no idea what it is. Um, in honor of Michael Mann not directing Jurassic Park, who would you have preferred directed Jurassic Park? I think they oh, no. found the right guy. Yeah, Bill. Ga- 90, Speaking 93. of, you said you were gonna, you said you were gonna do a little Google foo. Did you ever find anything about Michael Mann? I, I found nothing. I mean, honestly, if you look up Michael Mann in Jurassic Park, you mostly you get stuff about um, the climate scientist Michael Mann. Um, and and as I discovered, there is also, I guess, a climate scientist named Michael Crichton, which is which is even more confusing. Um, but there's a uh, climate scientist named Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it would be really confusing if there was one named like you know Steven Spielberg. Um, but uh, it is, uh, yeah. This was a this was a, a, a possibly an urban legend that was dangled before we started recording that uh, Michael Damn Mann it. might have at some point. Made a bid for the rights to Jurassic Park, which seems uh, very un-Michael Mann-like to me, given that the, the film doesn't really have the things that he's good at. How dare <laughs> you not say Michael Manley? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was a thought exercise. I don't know where I thought Maybe it was someone... a thought exercise. Uh, I don't know. Someone, uh, I don't know. If anyone out there recalls Michael Mann being in the running to direct Jurassic Park, please get in touch with Michael Snydell. (laughs) This actually reminds me of my friend Paige. Have I ever told you guys about Paige? No, but is it relevant? (laughs) Paige doesn't exist, apparently. I have looked through all of my yearbooks, and I cannot find Paige. And I've asked friends from middle and high school, and no one remembers Paige. Really? Yeah. So I um I don't know what happened to me. I have many vivid memories of this girl Paige, uh, who was a part of our friend group and moved at some point, and no one remembers her. Now, and you said you said you um you look through yearbooks. It, it, it wouldn't be a case where like this person like she was going by Paige, but her real name was different or something like that. I or? honestly don't know. And hmm. what what also doesn't help is that I can't remember what her last name was. Um, and like, I, I've wondered, like, was she there for such a strangely short period or something that she didn't get pictured, but then wouldn't it say not pictured anyway? Um, if you know the girl that, uh, I know whose name was Paige and I have no other information other than that one time I seem to remember she wore a shirt with little strawberries on it, 
please get in touch. <laughs> and if you find out that Michael Mann was once in the running to direct Jurassic Park, please get in touch with Michael. These are the two things that we swear to God are real that we can't find any evidence of that will slowly drive us to the grave. <laughs> anyway, that's it for today. Uh, we again are <laughs> brought to you by Mubi. For your free 30-day subscription, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Go to patreon.com slash the filmstage show to give us your money. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at filmstage show, Facebook, the filmstage show. Michael Snydell, what are we talking about next week? We are talking about, oh uh, shit, I didn't look how to pronounce his name. Uh, we're talking about Michael Almereda's, uh Tesla with uh, guest Clint Worthington. Is that the one with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch? Uh, Ethan Hawke, you're thinking of the current, the current war. Yes, war. <laughs> that was a joke for two people, none of whom listen to this podcast. <laughs> I don't think any. Did that ever come out, or was it only at festivals and then disappear? I I don't know. It got, uh, yeah, it came out. I looked up the current war, and on IMDb, it comes up. The first thing is the current war colon director's cut. Well, because because. Uh, it was it was the last movie Harvey Weinstein had his paws on oh. when he went oh. down. So there was, um, and so he was in the because it premiered at festivals and it was going to be coming out, and he was in the middle of you know hacking it to pieces. Um, and <laughs> as he does, and it, yeah. And then I think you know in the in the meltdown of the Weinstein company in the wake of that. I think the film wound up in someone else in, in another distributor's hands and. At that point, I believe the filmmakers kind of went back to the version they wanted. Or I don't know the exact story, but, you know, basically they tried to undo what Harvey did. Um, and I think maybe they released it as director's cut just to make that clear. Um, or maybe there was some legal reason why they had to do it. But but yeah, it's a it's a weird, weird thing. I have a DVD of it and I don't know which cut it is because I have to see it um for I think like Gotham Awards consideration before all this went down. Mm. Um, mm. So I have some cut of it that that is maybe not the director's cut and not the Harvey cut, but some other cut. And as I understand, none of the cuts of it are good. <laughs> it's kind of fascinating, though, that it's gone through that many. I, I mean, in a way, it's probably made the film more fascinating than it was ever going to yeah, be. Yeah. Simply by that virtue of that. Um, I, I will say, though, uh, since we are talking about Tesla, I will say I love his other biopic of uh, uh, Experimenter of uh, it's not Stanley Milgram or it's, it's um, it is I get confused. OK, because there's the Stanford Experiment and Experimenter the same year. So that's why I get a little bit confused. Uh, but yeah, uh, Experimenter is wonderful. And I highly recommend that one if you want to see his take on a biopic. Awesome. All right. So now that we know what we're talking about next week and we got all that information about the current war, um, I just got to say the next time that uh, Bill is a guest on the show, we have to start earlier because we have too many tangents and they're all interesting. Yes. And I don't want to stop. <laughs> yes. <totally. I> also, <laughs> gonna have to set up like two, three hour sessions that all happen around four o'clock in the afternoon. Let us tell the fine people at home where it can be found between now and the next time we are in their ears. So we will begin, of course, with our guest, Bill Gabiri. Where can people find your work online? Uh, Vulture.com is, is where I'm writing these days. And, uh, you know, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Bill Gabiri. All right. Bill Graham. 
you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me uh, posting photos and videos of my puppy on Instagram at Billstagram. And uh, definitely check me out. Uh, I'll be listening to the audiobook of Jurassic Park and Lost World uh, on my rides in and out of wherever I work. Who is that, uh, is that? Is that read by anyone interesting? Uh, I have no idea. I didn't check that. I didn't <laughs> care, to be honest with you. Uh, Richard just, Adam. Just, <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> or Sam Neill, actually. Oh, okay. Laura mm-hmm. Dern, no? Mm-hmm. All right. I'll, I'll check. Peter Storm. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, uh, Michael Snydell, what about yourself? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Snydell. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd. I also do the film stage show spinoff podcast Intermission, which is a one-on-one where a guest picks a streaming film to talk about that's art house, experimental, or foreign. And that's a super loose term for all of those. As a recent <laughs> guest uh, pitched Super Mario Brothers, and I was like, you know, give me two sentences why it's experimental. And I was like, absolutely. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, I, I, as far as reviews, I wrote recently about Igor Abramenko's uh, Russian film Sputnik for The Spool, which I, I think is a uh, really pretty interesting film that's on VOD and uses uh, its 80s Soviet Union uh, setting uh, to explore some interesting things about aliens. So, yeah, you can read that and check it out on VOD. The awesome. uh, narrator is Scott Brick, who does a shit ton of other big name books, hmm. including Dune. Oh, Dune. Haven't yeah. read the books. Excited for the movie. Yes. Whenever that fucking comes out. <laughs> who knows? It's not here. Uh, as for myself, uh, you can, of course, find all my stuff on BrianJRowan.com. Uh, my uh, Twitter yeah, is uh, at Brian J. Rowan. Instagram at Brian J. Rowan. Everywhere I'm at Brian J. Rowan. I'm not a clever man. And um, a reminder that you can find every episode of this year's podcast at thefilmstage.com, uh, where you can also find my latest written review, which once again was for The Tax Collector, a movie that I weirdly have found myself thinking about every single day since I've seen it. And I don't know <laughs> if that's a good thing or not. But there will be time. Like, I was in the shower today and I just remembered an aspect of it and I just chuckled to myself. And then I was mad because I don't know anyone else who's seen this movie <laughs> that I can that I can talk about this with. Um, I, I saw it. Okay, then after we're done recording, I gotta just I just gotta say like one thing to you and just be like, so I can just get this out of my brain. Um, but that is it for today. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next week.